So, welcome this time. Uh, my name is Keith, and we'll sort of do this as a more informal thing. I'll, get, I'll talk a little bit about the process, but I'd, I'd rather spend more of the second half talking individually about your own approaches and ideas. But we'll use this sort of basic setup here as the launching off point to, to start discussing deeper things. So just a little bit of background. Um, I, uh, I started making computer music uh, when I went to school when I was 18. This would have been the early 90s. I went to Berkeley and Boston and studied with uh, Richard Boulanger learning uh, C-Sound and Max MSP and all these things. So my fundamental way of looking at, at electronic music is almost entirely based on computers, based on you know, um, these plat various software platforms, Super Collider, Max MSP, and C-Sound. Um, and I, I began traveling and playing computer music, all kinds of things really, like um, electroacoustic music in the classic sense, dance music, all these different things. Um, and I had sort of a, maybe a crisis of conscience in the mid-2000s after I'd been doing it for 15 years where I realized how sort of insular and um, focused doing a computer performance is. And I decided it's not necessarily like I needed to implement this idea of a spectacle into the performance. I just became more interested in the exterior sort of gestural aspects of performing music. I mean, I grew up playing guitar and playing clarinet, uh, mostly jazz and different ensembles, and I, I always loved the tactility and almost simplicity of a simple machine like a, a musical instrument, like a piano or a guitar or something like that. It's something so incalculable about, about acoustic and electric instruments in that they're they're not necessarily, they're, they're sort of boundless in, in the resolution of them. You know, they're really, there's nothing that really stops you from getting as, as finite as possible with, the, with an actual instrument in a way that I, it wasn't like I'm using the classic like, zipper analogy of computer music and digital signals as, as a way to show that they're limitations because ultimately computers are limitless. Um, but I, I, as, a, as a way to perform music, I always feel like, even to this day, and we're, we're sort of standing in the hallowed hall of um, finding new ways to perform electronic music using controllers and all that. I mean, I really love what Michelle Weissfuss was doing for years with all these hands controllers and all that. He, he, he came up with cool, cool ways to perform electronic music. But personally, I, I have never wanted to deviate too far from the sort of mixer fader, fader model of music. I, I find that the most comfortable way of performing. It's, it's very natural. I don't need multi-touch controllers and all these things because ultimately... What I'm interested in exploring is, is how you can allow systems to, to go about their, their ways, how you can set up algorithms to do things that you're not necessarily always in control of, but as a performer, you're aware of. This is why I put the t -t word subconscious in the, in the title of the talk. It's not necessarily like when I'm playing music, I'm thinking elementally and atomically of every in individual element as it's happening. I'm more thinking about it broadly, as if I were conducting an orchestra. If I was standing over this ensemble, of individual performers, each with their own personalities and predilections. Each one is, is there for a reason, you know. Um, each one was hired to do the job, you know. Each one was consciously thought about to do something that would either add or even detract away from the overall sound that was, was happening in a given time. So I do think about this stuff elementally. I am... Even if I'm not so necessarily worried about what, say, this melody generator is doing it every second while I'm performing, I am listening for how it misbehaves and maybe using that as a trigger to start thinking about other ways of implementing change in a, the formal sense of the music as it's going on. Um, so maybe because there's only like 10 of us here, let's all just come back over here and I'll just show you quickly what I'm talking about as far as how the computer intersects with this. Make some room here. 
So how many of you um, make music on a computer? That's, I mean, at any point in your music pro making process, whether it be recording or composing or anything like that. So almost everybody has some experience with using a computer. I feel like that these days in the 21st century is the norm for people making electronic music. You're, you're doing mixing or editing in an audio editor, you're doing Ableton Live, you're doing M MSP, something that's in the system, right? And that's, that's almost become the norm, whereas this kind of thing is the aberration. This is like the weird step aside from the computer, right? And I think that even now, these are seen as limited in a way. They are. They're designed to do mostly single things, you know? Every individual element of the synthesizer is designed to do one thing. Some of them have multifunctions, but it's really there's, the focus of why you'd use it as one thing, right? And they're all... There are, it's all the basic, basic building blocks of electronic music. So there's this complicated mixer system that has all the, like, the sends and receives and buses, right? There's a uh, you know, mute system here, extra channels. And there's a bank of, of LFOs here that are just, you know, they're just regular, you know, um, sawtooth, square wave, sine wave LFOs. There's eight of them in the bottom there. I actually have it upside down so I can have all the faders at the bottom. Two-channel filter that does low-pass, high-pass, band-pass, and notch. Um, and then over the here is the computer interface. Eight channels coming from the computer into the synthesizer at the, the same level as the generally synthesizer you know, uh, works on, which is negative 10 to positive 10 volts. Four channels of audio, four channels of triggers that are being sort of derived in real time from the computer. So you can see I have this really just simple interface. All these really are is just a huge library of sounds. So there are mono 48K sounds, and each one is running the audio through a transient detection algorithm in, in Max called Bonk. That's one of Miller Puckett's, um, you know, MSP, Miller S Puckett's uh, basic building blocks in Max. I was really interested in the idea of having this thing run, this four channels, you know, the, the, the audio signals themselves aren't really even that important. A lot of times I don't even use the audio signals as a signal in the system. I'm mostly interested in deriving timings from everyday sound. So a lot of these sounds are just the most banal things. There's like, you know, Something like that. So just a, a, a hammer on a piano string, right? And I was interested in just getting that timing, that sort of bouncing ball timing, and not necessarily using it as a sound, but using it as a timing engine. So, you know, because something about the sort of human aspect of how we approach sound and how we make sound is so intriguing to me and so infinite um, that I wanted to sort of harvest these kind of like almost... Um, subconscious sounds that you make when you play music. And also, a lot of these sounds have to do with the theme of the kind of music people make when they aren't really thinking about music. So one of my favorite um, like dynamics is you know, the person in the music store when they're trying out an instrument. So the person that doesn't play drums, but they see a drum set in a, in a you know, music store, like a, what's the one here called, the big one, uh, Dykeman or something like that. You know, it's like how you sit and you try to do something thinking about what you want it to sound like, but you don't necessarily have the, you know, the ability to do it yet. So I re I'm really in love with these kind of sounds, and a lot of this sort of redaction stuff really stems from this idea of like how you, the, the, the disparity between how you want to make music and how you do make music. So that's kind of conceptually, that's the theme of it. All of these sounds are, you know, like the one I just played you was my attempt at a, whatever, a John Cage prepared piano kind of thing. But I have no idea how the techniques were done in the 40s and 50s. Like I have no idea how Mario Yamian prepared his piano to play the, the Cage pieces. I just think about what I want it to sound like and I try to play it, right? So there's a bit of naivete in the, in the sound gathering. And I'm gathering all these sounds just with like this basic stuff, you know, these like kind of portable recorders and this you know, camera here that can record underwater, you know, just like basic things. There's this, you can check this out or you can hand that around. That's an audio moth. It's like a, um, it's for recording bats. 
So it has a, like an MEMS uh, membrane microphone just on the board and records up to 384K, which is great. So you can get all of the low-end sort of radiation sounds like you know, cell phone and things like that. That's a really cool thing. Not that I want to be a, like, a cheerleader for this particular thing, but this is like these kind of things are now becoming more and more available as the technology gets cheaper and cheaper. It was like a Kickstarter last year just to build this thing. You know. It has a whole Linux uh, programmer engine where you can have it record at sunrise and things like that. So. So you can get, or you can get the bats, you know, as they take off at 6 p.m. and fly to the next place, you know. And you would, like, record it and, like, transform, like, time shift the sound in order to hear it because it's, like, ultra Exactly, right, yeah. So I, I record at 384K and then I play it back at 48K, so it's eight octaves lower, you know. And you get all the interference. It's cool because it's, like, there's not really much radiation above 20K or so, but, you know. So it's actually fairly clean up there. Cool. When you pitch shift it down, you get, like, some hum and things, but in the lower ranges you can filter it out. So, yeah. What, those recordings? Or? Yeah, they're in there. So a couple of them are in there. Actually, there's one. I don't know if they're in the active pat patch right now. This is like this whole, the computer side of it is just a set and forget kind of thing. So there is. Yeah, I, I like to have this. They're all dated, you know? So it's like, yeah. you know, so the last ones I have in here are actually from November. So the stuff I recorded here in Amsterdam over the last few days, I probably won't put in the system until I go to play at Paradise on Friday or Saturday. So it's kind of like the idea is a bit about playing. It's not like playing the city back to itself. It's about taking sounds, like here, walking around in the Vondel Park and recording birds and things with, with that, but playing them back really low frequency. So you can kind of, they're, they're familiar sounds to people that grew up here or live here. But then to me, they're so alien. And you know, the, the birds sound so different here than where I've ever lived. But not necessarily making it try to be this natural kind of soundscape thing. Just more like taking those interesting sounds and just doing simple transforms, pitch, some spectral things, you know, some frequency dividing, things like that. Nothing really too advanced. But really just like listening to how the, the, the cadence of how the bird song goes and then trying to get those rhythms again, get those sounds and then mapping them to either other sounds in the synthesizer or even just controlling, using those envelopes to control other sounds that are coming in at the same time. So it's a bit of this cross-modulation matrix happening. Envelope following is one way to do it, but really just like taking the timings, just really just triggers on or off. You know, As soon as a transient happens in any of those sounds, boom, we have a trigger in the synth. The trigger can open an envelope. It can open a million things. It can slowly rise up. It can open a filter. It can change the frequency of a filter. It can change the frequency of a frequency uh, shifter. It can change uh, the time of a, of a delay, the time of a reverb, panning, spatialization in the ring. There's a lot of different ways you can map just a transient. Uh, it's in max. I just use bonk. I actually I used to use a, a four-channel comparator right in the synth, which is literally going from zero to five volt, you know, and it just would happen fairly quickly. But I, I don't have it in here at the moment. I actually just swapped out the, the comparator for this, which is like a four-channel oscillator, because I found that doing just its, you can do data reduction in the the software. That's actually really great. You know, you can I say if there's you know. Uh, there are attacks that are less than 50 milliseconds apart than to strip them, you know. So it has to be at least 50 milliseconds between each one. In analog, it was almost like if you're running the threshold, it would start buzzing almost to sound like an audio frequency thing. It would sound like a square wave at 10K or something like that. So I wanted it to be more just like triggers, nothing else. <coughs> so that's just, I mean, the reason this is such a, I mean, half of the time when I play, I turn this thing on, I select four sounds, and I just turn the screen off. I just think about it, you know. It's easier to play the sounds, not focusing on which particular ones I'm using at any given time. Just think, okay, there's four sounds. They're all kind of unrelated to each other. Maybe there's a conceptual theme. 
you know, maybe like the ones that are in there now, I think are some, uh, you know, they let me into a percussion room at a music university in Canada and I just played, you know, marimba and I played kettle drum, just but like totally intuitively, not thinking of it in a greater sense, just saying, what's the kind of sound I want to hear on a timpani? Like, you know, I've never played it before. Okay, I'll play with the pitch, I'll play around the edges and this kind of thing, but not thinking about the greater sound of it until I try to apply it to other sounds. Um, and so it's a lot of trial and error, and it's a lot of happy accidents. And you can see that, I mean, as I'll get deeper into the talk, there's so much embrace of randomness going on here that it's almost like the sounds themselves can be almost arbitrary, but then there's always a way to kind of rein them in and shape them into something that's closer to what I want to do. So the, the trick is to kind of find a way to not be overwhelmed by the possibility of playing music, to, to think of it more like you have things under your control that you're, you can and can't do with these systems. But it's how can you act quickly in real time to eke a greater formal sensibility out of what you're playing. And that's really, I think that's, for me, the, the challenge of playing music. Yeah, sure, you look at this giant box that's just teeming with wires, and it looks unruly and complicated. And it is, you know, it is. But I, after 10 years, have gotten to the point where I don't even see the cables. I don't even see the modules. I don't see the computer. I just think, okay, I'm comfortable enough with this now that I can kind of go in any direction, and let's see where we can go today, and try to make every performance be unique and different. So that's the goal for me. Um, maybe the best way to start is we'll, we'll take a listen to one of these sounds, and we'll see what we can do just to get an idea. So there's percussion room, there's prepared piano, there's a drone from a Buchla synthesizer, and there's uh, a, a hotel room window resonating in Canada. So there's, there's four completely, and they're all from the last year. That's the only thing they really have in common. So the first one. So two recordings like yep. that are yeah. fundamental Source. Sort of starting point. Yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, even like using the Buchla sound, not a field recording, it's a studio session, but I can take the, the timing, you know, inconsistencies of that Buchla source of uncertainty circuit and not necessarily need to have that module. I can just do it from audio. So I can have a an hour of a Buchla source of uncertainty circuit just doing triggers, you know. I don't need any more than that. Once I have it into a range and I'm happy with it, I don't necessarily need to then go and buy the module that sort of does that kind of thing. The audio itself is enough because I can speed the audio up, I can speed the audio down. It becomes very elastic once you get it into a recording, you know. I just like the way that the Buchla source of uncertainty module works. And once I get it into a place where I hear these timings and I go, oh, I could actually use this. This would be really nice with this ma mapped with this kind of sound. I, um, I don't necessarily need it. I mean, I would love to travel with a Buchla, of course, everybody would, but it's, um, once, it's, once you have a recording of the thing that it does formally, you don't necessarily need it. You know? So that's, that's why I love it. Audio is very powerful in this way. Individual audio signals and their malleability could replace a lot of the stuff that's in the system, but I still want to have at least the basic building blocks to be able to do as many things as possible without being too obsessed with transformation. You know? A lot of these sounds, I think, are fine on their own, honestly. There are, a lot of them, just as they are, untouched, sound great. So let's listen to one here. So they're all muted except for that one. It's slowly crawling around just because the panning is moving slowly. But So again, I can't, I can't play a bell tree in a classical sense, I can't, you know, but I like this recording of just thinking, OK, there's a pattern, right? And you can see this is flashing right here, this number five. So that's getting the triggers from that sound, right? So that's one, two, three, four audio, and then one, two, three, four of triggers. 
And the triggers are going, in this case, I have it going listen they're going to this so that the patch that I have because I, I wanted to save us an hour of going through this whole ridiculous patch um, it's just going we're taking this audio in and it's going into a VCA a voltage controlled amplifier that's doing really short envelopes just completely every time it gets a trigger it opens one of the four envelopes in this ADAC module that is designed to Every time you trigger it, it flashes randomness to the attack and the decay of all four uh, envelope generators. I really love, this is guy, um, Andre Gonzalez, who lives in Lisbon. I really love his designs because he's thinking about how you can, right from the get-go, about how, I mean, sa saving me having four or eight separate sample and hold modules, so they're, they're all perfectly incorporated right into the thing itself. And then you've got also, every trigger, it generates a random value for the high and low. You've got the values here, plus you have the envelopes, plus you have the gate, Every time you trigger it, it sends a gate out, either at the beginning of the attack, at the beginning of the decay, or at the end of the whole envelope. And you can assign that per channel. You can assign a general range to each one, so I can have be really quick, just transients. It could be like a medium envelope that opens and closes, and then a really long one that either opens really slowly or really closes really slowly over, say, a minute, you know? So you can have a trigger start to start a change that slowly opens, say, a filter, say, an envelope. Uh, it's not necessarily about preserving the transients, just having a musical event that you can then map to something in here. So there's the sound. You can see that it's really, we're getting these really fast things because it's opening and closing it really quickly. So if we just open the, it's a master minimum and maximum. Okay, so that's, so is it a filter so yet? Kind of crackly sounds were like yeah. a lot of envelopes going on. Exactly, that was almost like audio rate envelopes yeah. opening and closing, right? So well, before I get too much deeper, we can get really quickly into inside baseball with this stuff. How many of you have experience with these particular instruments, the modular synthesizers? Okay, but there's a general interest in this, in these kind of instruments as, as solutions, okay. Um, but there's some, there's like more, there's a, an understanding of electronic music and these kind of things as well. I don't want to get, uh, th these talks can quickly go too deep into the technical, the technical things, which I'm interested in talking about, but I'm more, I mean, for the, the focus of this, I'm more interested in talking about how we can use these things than necessarily what they do. And if that's okay with everybody, then I think that's a, a better approach. Because I don't want to, I'm, I'm not really thinking that I'm <coughs> a salesman for this or if I'm like a, you know, a gear, a gear talk, like a, t a technician. I mean, I'm interested in the technical side of things, definitely, but I'm way more interested in how, and most importantly, why. Why we do it, why we, why we use these things as ways to enable um, formal aspects of music. So, okay, so again, this is, I'm showing you a thing. It's, it's a personal decision, uh, an area of music that I'm interested in exploring. Having the system change these sounds, you know? I'm happy with them as they are, but I want to see what we can do within the system to change them. Okay, so there's your classic envelope uh, is opening, VCA, so the, the volume opens, and as soon as the, the envelope kicks in, it fades it out. The same envelope is controlling a filter, so low pass. It opens up really quickly, and then it closes. So if I turn the resonance up, you can really hear them. So that's every, every sound opens and closes very quickly, right? And as I bring up the maximum, they start to close a lot more quickly. It's still choosing random values. Every one open, closes at a different speed. So that one's quite slow. You can hear it slowly fading out. Right, so this, I mean, that's, I would never use the resonance all the way up like that as a sound, but I like to show it, so we'll do it really quickly. And again, there's, there's a kind of a gap because there's a gap in the audio. 
It's the construction, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get a bit of, the, we're in the construction neighborhood, you know. Rapid expansion in the western suburbs. Yeah, so. Gentrification. Well, I don't know if the gentrification will, will come out this far, do you think? Yeah, really? Yeah. It's housing, or is it? Yeah. We're putting in the artists first, and then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Go where the artists go, right? That's the first adage of real estate. Go where the artists go. Yeah. There'll be a cafe across the street and a craft beer bar. Okay, so hear that? Really quick envelopes. Audio rate. So that's as fast as the envelope can open and close. It basically makes an oscillator. This is very quick amplitude and frequency modulation. Okay, so let's hear what it sounds like fully up. Classic. This is like the, uh, what, did, what did Chris Carter call it? The uh, gristleizer. Dropping gristle records. This, that, that's the sound, you know. It's running uh, frequency through uh, audio rate modulation. So quick, quick, blappy, laser kind of synth sounds, right? So that's great. And I've got, um, for the four channels going into this two-channel uh, two filter, each one has a separate low-pass, bad-pass, high-pass notch for each of the two filters. There's actually eight outputs. And the way I have it arranged just for logistics sake is the low-pass is going into a stereo field. Um, and the mixer, I have an A and B channel. So that's kind of like when we open it up, the first channel we hear I think it's the low pass on one side, the high pass on the other side. And because we're not really thinking left and right in terms of um, hearing it in the stereo system because we have the quad going, it's more just kind of like channel one, channel two. So channel one is the low pass on one side, a high pass on the other. But independently, they're, they're crawling around in a circle in this, this quad array that we're going. So right now they're resting here. In a second, it'll take off again. and It'll start moving sort of into that speaker. You can hear it there. Um, so we have the high filters coming in. Let's open this up. We'll do it. We'll do it at a different range. So this is getting some classic kind of like just filtering out all the sounds. Okay. And then if I listen to the other side, I think we'll get the high side of it as well. Yeah. So there's just the high. Okay. So. Right away, filters become this really invaluable sculpting tool. Sure, I could make giant, you know, like a Daft Punk filter sweeps, or, you know, the kind of thing. That's easy to do that with this particular filter. It's based on the, the Prophet 5 filter in a, a synthesizer. It's the same SEM chip that you, would be used in a Prophet 5, just turned into a Eurock module. A lot of the stuff in the system is based on classic circuits. You know, they're um, new implementations of old ideas. Um, I'm not so obsessed with new, new of Eurorex synthesizers. I think it's, it's really easy to get caught in this trap where a thing comes out and you instantly want to use it because you hear it as a new thing. It's a new idea, a new implementation. But so often they're just based on these decades-old you know, um, topologies of filters. You know? um, I try to stay away from the, that cycle of instantly wanting to implement a new thing just to see what it does. It's a bit like buying a new toy or something like that. It's, you know, really everything that's in here now is for a reason, a very good reason. It's because I'm interested in timbrely and functionally what it does. You, know? you can be very promiscuous with this stuff. You can, you can play fast and loose with what you use. Um, and I, I've definitely made a lot of questionable choices. Like you know, while I'm playing this very electroacoustic kind of sounding music, I also have like a, a full-on 303 in here because I love that sound. You know? And I, I, I think it's sort of fun to play around with this idea of, of, of timbre and have something so referential as a 303 in there, you know. 
there's a really this trend towards timbral, I would call it timbral fascism, you know, is one way of looking at it. So having a 303 sound, that very you know, unmistakable 303 sound in an electroacoustic setting is like it's, it's heresy, you know. It's kind of like you're just mixing these two disciplines that do not get along. I mean, in my mind, early 90s acid and electroacoustic music are as opposed diametrically as musical idioms as possible. That's maybe a reason why I have it in here, because that's part of my personality. I want to be able to play a 303 sound at the multi-channel convention, but I also want to be able to go to the dance club the next night and hear electroacoustic music, you know. So this is just, again, I'm just justifying why I've made these choices. Um, and I love the idea of ha having this classic electroacoustic approach trigger something like a 303. To me, that's so perverse and interesting that I want to explore that, you know. I also have, there's like drum machines in here. I have a whole sample libraries of Lin drum sounds, so I could play a pretty convincing Prince track, you know, right now if I wanted to. And I, this in this, yeah, yeah, in here there's sample playback, mm -hmm. two modules here that just have really minimal memory, but there's, I have, I've programmed them with, um, actually do I have it with me, there's a little program where you can add, you know, mono 16K sounds. You can upload them to this, yeah, this right. is his Erica, this is a guy in Latvia, really, Garrett's really a lovely guy, yeah. but he's doing a lot of really great things right now. And this is just the simplest, tiny little 3HP two-channel sampler. Mm -hmm. um, do I have it live? So that's one side is 909 sounds and one side is Lindrum sounds. They're, they're coming from here. So. What's doing the 303? Uh, it's this domino here. Here, let's, let's find it. Is it going right now? So one, two, three. I think it's here. Yeah. So. It's very classic. It's a pretty good emulation, actually. Yeah, it's it's not like as it's not as full featured as I'd like, you know. But it's yeah. It's not as dirty, but yeah. It's not as dirty, but it's. It's it's between it's between a two o two actually. I think the filter sounds more like the MT two o two. You can you can really. Yeah, it's I would say it's between a two o two and a three o three. Very very similar though, but again, it's a thing that's like. 10H, so uh, HP is a fractional width. It's a fifth of an inch. Every, every thing in the system is the same height, but they all have different widths. And real estate becomes really uh, a tricky thing because I want to be able to put as much in here, but I have to think about what I'm going to use. But when someone was in France a few years ago, and I was in this synth store in Paris called Modular Square, and the guy was like, this guy made a 303 in a, in a very small 10 HP, so two-inch wide module. I said, that's incredible. How did they do it? Well, they, they, you know, they sacrificed a lot of functionality. There's not CV control over... The depth or the the you know the width of the envelope, and there's not CV control over the resonance, but it's very playable. And you know, as far as my purposes are concerned, it's a decent emulation of that. I mean, it definitely saves me from having to travel with an actual 303 or a, a contemporary clone like the what's the drum drone one that's out now? There's, yeah, there's a million. Which one? Yeah, XOX box, right? So that's like that's there's a million things, and none of them sound exactly like a Devilfish modded 303, but there you know there's things that do that. Um, I can take that sound and run it through distortion or filter it you know, endlessly within the synthesizer and use it as a building block, turn it into something else. But um, I'm not super interested in authenticity in this sense because I'm not trying to make authentic acid music, so why would I you know, be too, you know. I, think, I feel like that's a, that's a point in time that's interesting to me is a historical amount of time. There's people that make acid now, but you know, they can be as accurate in recreating the past as they, they can be. But that sort of, to me, is kind of a dead end. You know, it's like you can't recreate parts of the past. You can live within histories and, and 
you know, enable the aspects of that, that that are interesting, but you can't actually fully recreate anything in music. You know, there's, there's definitely a time and a place for a lot of ideas. And I think a lot of things are left in the past. A lot of things are, are kept as living, breathing things within music, but um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not super interested in this like accurate recreation of things. I love playing fast and loose with musical conventions. It's, it's fun to me. It's interesting. And it keeps me interested in exploring more and more without having to worry about what the accurate version of a thing is. So I don't get too hung up on these things. I don't get too hung up on having the, exactly this, this kind of filter or that kind of filter. I, just, I see them as tools, and they are tools. That's probably a very unromantic way of looking at it, but it's, it's true. It's also like, uh, because you said you work with instruments, also yeah. like kind of bass guitar, let's yeah. say, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the 303, yeah. you, see, you see it as that? It's a bass guitar. That's, that's, I've always, I mean, I was, I was alive when the 303 came out and interested in electronic music in the early 80s, so it was kind of like, um, yeah, the 303 was a canonic replacement of a bass player. That's what it's for. Now, we've obviously heard it perverted within the, within the decade of it coming out. It obviously hit its commercial run, was very unsuccessful. A few people kind of got them to use as an accompanist, but it obviously wasn't really, it never really took off. But so many people used it in other ways, came up with a new way entirely to use it, you know. So that's kind of, that's interesting to me, how it was intended for this thing, but then it hit the market, failed, and then had an afterlife like 10 years later as a completely other thing. I mean, sure, it still created bass, you know, but it, it, the, the coloring, the, the extreme settings that made that high resonance squeak, it's kind of like what you associated 303 with. If you listen to, like, what's a classic 80s, like, uh, Let the Rhythm Play by Shannon, like a New York freestyle track that has 303 in it, you just hear bum 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 it's like as a bass line with a little bit of enveloping, but it's not squelchy in the way that you'd hear 303 later on, but I can really, like, outside of New York freestyle and maybe the Miami bass and electro, there's not a lot of 303s until you get to the first summer of love, like 88, and suddenly there's this whole explosion from that point forward in how it's used. Almost always in extreme settings, almost always with the resonance jacked up or you know, with the devilfish mods later on being more like gritty, edgy sounds. It's kind of a nice, I mean, using it just as a bass, it's kind of a nice sound, you know? It's, but you never really think of it using it in more um, conservative ways. So that's, yeah, that's one example of, of you know, why you'd make a choice like that. Sometimes I'll use the 303 module as just as an oscillator, square wave, or a sawtooth, and just listen to it by itself without the enveloping. And it's nice. It has a different kind of sound. Okay, so let's see. Where were we? We were at listening to the sounds. Can I just ask something? Yeah, of course, please. Is this, is this a pass you have here? Is this like aimed at electroacoustic? It's aimed at, well, there's two patches going at once here. There's, the, there's this. And then there's this melodic cannon patch. So I have two, two halves. So like you can see this is like the sound coming from the computer processing the envelopes, filters. Um, and then up here is almost like the, there's a self-clocking system here that's from a master clock is triggering envelopes that are um, subtracting and dividing in musical time. And then they're also being sort of subtracted and divided over here mm -hmm. to create different timings. And then there's also another one that's doing uh, just no sequencing, just doing creating simple waveforms that create melodic contours, you know, and then those are running through these circuits called shift registers that create canons. So right now I've got a six-voice canon going and two three-voice canons that are doing very simple sort of melodic things. Well, maybe we'll focus on the computer part and then we'll do the melodic so part two second. Different, two different it's, two, it's two completely different patches, two different pieces actually. Like when I play, I do the computer piece, usually I stop. And then I start the other piece. It's a separate thing. Like when I play with Pierce on Saturday, it'll be two actual discrete performances. With right, so he's created two different video systems for each half. You know, so right. um, 
it's just convenient that I have this butterfly case that allows for that patch mostly to be there and this patch mostly to be there. Although I couldn't fit the 303 and the quad oscillator in, in this top, so I had to kind of steal some space from the computer side, you know. And also the effects are down here. There's a reverb, there's a master delay, and then I also have this breakout with these guitar pedals here as well. Um, this is... I, I, two setups yeah, gentrification. In, in, in Basically, yeah, 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 yeah. This, the, the, the Monic Canon patch doesn't need the computer sounds at all. It just, it's, it's, you know, working with musical time, that's all completely generated from within the synthesizer. There's a master clock with subdivided outputs that are going into lots of different places. So, how, how large can these time structures get? Yeah, exactly. Well, for the, for this part, yeah, yeah. For this part, I'm not using any of the timing engine stuff at all for the, the sounds. I'm I'm almost entirely allowing the individual triggers to, to in the sounds to control everything. Yeah, you exactly. know. But what I mean is, as soon as that goes into your system, yeah, yeah, you could you could probably end up that it gets quite complicated. If you don't Easily, these yeah, yeah. Um, and do you, would you prefer to stick to these timings? So that you I prefer to have these timings be the the center of yeah. the rhythmic framework of it. Yes, yeah. so or at least the events. You know, the sort of temporal aspect of it is all basically chosen by the audio material itself. What I've never really done, at least not recently, is I can then take, if I wanted to, I could take that timing and then run it through this same, this is just a, a clock divider that's listening for two consecutive yeah. pulses to derive a time. I can still use that stuff. I'm choosing not to because I don't, I mean, I used to always travel with the system completely unpatched. I would show up at a place if I had enough time. I would start the patch a little bit different every time. Same ideas, but just a little bit different implementation every time. Now I, I, I like the I like now learning a, a bigger structure and having it be sort of repeatable in how I play it, but then the sounds and the approach can then be the thing that's different every time instead of just having it be this, you know, cathartic experience of showing up at Paradiso with a completely unpatched synthesizer and have one hour to build something. I feel like there's so much you lose in that process, you know. And asking for a four-hour sound check at a festival is out of the question, you know. It's like, well, I need to show up with this like a guitar with no strings on it, and I need to build a pickup, and I need to put the strings on it and then tune it. You know, it's like they'll be like, "What are you doing? Just show up with it strung." You know, like that's going to save us all so much time. So, it's a, a happy middle ground between you know uh, having it be repeatable, but also having it be somewhat chaotic in that I can really take it in a lot of other directions. It's not necessarily a holy grail thing. It's it's a, a real strive for something that's palpable that I can just do. You know, I, I want it to be repeatable, and that I'm not making mistakes because there's a lack of time to be able to do something different every time. I want it to be playable. So you don't think if you patch a system that it could be used, like reused many times, yeah, different results? Still? Oh, absolutely, yeah. But it's the, the thing is, it's still this modular system. I can still just once I get it working and running, I can still then circumvent it and just start sharing resources with other aspects of the patch. That's the beauty of it. Again, it's not it's not a fixed system. In that you know you can see that half, even though this is this is the complete patch. I mean, half of the actual control and outputs of some of these modules, I'm not even using a lot of it. Like I'm not doing the sends and receives and the delay because I don't really have anywhere to send it to other than other effects. Um, a lot of this, like the quantized and asynchronous, asynchronous outputs of the clock divider, I'm not using at all, even though I could easily take them and then just sort of start creating more complex mapping of timings and get bursts and things like that happening. Um, Do you also imagine um, to connect the quality of the sound? So like how your recording sound, like the quality of the yeah. kind of timbre or yeah. more feel of it, do you also work intuitively with then what kind of timbres you choose? Yeah. Exactly, right. Yeah. Is it, am I emphasizing what's already there or am I circumventing that and, yeah, and turning it into something else? Yeah, yeah. It's not, I'm, I'm not obsessed with the idea of transforming it. You know, it doesn't, it's, I can't just take a sound and have to atomize it and turn it into something else. I, sometimes we'll just leave it intact because it's a beautiful sound. You know? yeah. 
sometimes I'll take the sounds and not use the timings because I just, oh, that's interesting. It's rain. There's one recording of rain falling in a single column onto like a metal air conditioner. <coughs> and I play that recording for anybody, and they're like, oh, yeah, this rain, a single drop of rain falling outside of a building. Everybody knows that sound. And then even if I just take the timing and I run it to say like that kick drum sound, they go bump, 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 bump. Like, oh, that sounds like rain. Even though if it's not, you're not hearing the, the spectral timbral qualities. You get the language of it, you know, the cadence of it. You something to understand. And tr- yeah, yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's why I'm drawn to a lot of these sounds. You know, you can present random seeming timing events, um, but a lot of them, your brain will instantly resolve them to something. It'll turn them into something in your mind, you know. Um, Sorry, just to clarify. Yeah. yeah. Are you talking about, like, triggering, triggering a kick drum sound yeah. to follow the timing of... Yeah, just listening. Yeah, exactly, right. So that I, I easily do that with just having that bonk object in here, send the triggers to the synth, and then once they're triggers, obviously you can map. So it would follow transients? Or transients, like, yeah. yeah. It's, they're called uh, spectral centroids in this, this particular um, the object. Okay. It's, it's deciding if uh, a transient is significant because it fills a larger spectral space. Yeah. You know, So something like a crackle or transient that's happening in the signal, it probably wouldn't send the, the, the trigger along because it doesn't see it as significant. But there's also, you can, and you can really tailor, in the back end of this patch, man, I don't know how much I can show you because it's all in sub-patches, but it's, um, it's really this, oh, there are, there are B-patches, so mm-hmm. here, I'll open one up just to show you what's going on. Which one is it? So I'm thinking because every sound is very yeah, different voice, in yeah. kind of transients and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You obviously have to kind of tweak the bunk. Yeah, th- th- I, have, I have a whole load bang that's doing all of the, the, the qualities of the monk object that I've chosen. So okay. it's doing that debounce de- is really probably the most valuable one. So debounce is if, if there's too many triggers close together, it just gives you the first one. Here's the second one less than 50 seconds, milliseconds later, it doesn't give it to you. And then if it hears another one within 50 milliseconds of that one, it still doesn't give it to you because it's obviously a, a square wave or a ground hum or something that's triggering at an audio rate. So it's kind of doing a lot of with debounce. It's doing a lot with not hearing DC offset as a trigger. So if you play like a square wave, you know, and you bring it down to about three hertz, you get, da, 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 you know, you get the actual triggers. But it knows that it's an audio signal. So you can take the spectrally, say, don't listen to anything that's below, say, 80 hertz as a trigger. Because there's nothing really down there. I mean, even like the kick, like tr- the fundamental of the kick drum is only about 80 hertz. So it's kind of like anything below that will be an anomaly and not necessarily kind of an intentional trigger. All that math is happening within the object, within Max, and I'm happy with having set it up so de- in a such a detailed way that just letting it go. You know, I know that it's going to do its job. Right now, you can see that it's putting out. You know, we're hearing our sound. So there's our with well, the crackle going. But if you look here, you can see it right there, number five here. It's almost exactly. It's almost exactly with some data thinning what I want, mm-hmm. which is you know within reason. It's giving you the trigger. There's, there's a, a ghost in there because it's, there's something low rustling in the audio, but that's fine. So, sorry, go ahead. Uh, do you ever make a selection of these? Kind of, are you looping cards? Of there, are a minimum, there, there are a minimum of 10 minutes. It's, I kind of like the idea of an unbroken segment of audio. So each one of these is between 10 and 20 minutes. They're mono. So there's no like, movement within the recording. It's, just, it's pretty much a micro, single microphone right on something making a sound. Um, Again, that's just that's a working method more than a choice. That's just I, you know I, I have a simple you know I'm using either this kind of microphone you know like a Lavier, Lavalier or something like this. I use these quite a lot for um, recording sounds. So those Lom microphones, you know this guy, um, what's his name? He's in um, Gruska. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Which is I think these are fantastic. They're 
ex-Soviet um, surplus electret condenser microphones that he's selected and kind of matched somewhat, but they're really great in expensive ways. And they have really high signal-to-noise ratio. It's like 115 dB or something like that. So you can pretty much put them right on a quiet thing and get a decent sound, but you can also use them to record rock concerts. So it's kind of for a travel kit. And they're, they're cheap. They're like 80 euros or something like that, which is great. All you need is those. Would you use it live? Yep. <coughs> I do use it live, actually. I will... Um, often preamp it with something like this and then run the headphone out back into the synthesizer and then you know, I have the actual room sound. Uh, it gets tricky with most circumstances with mitigating feedback. It becomes a real problem, obviously. I often will take it and I'll delay it just slightly or even delay it for five minutes and have the sound go through. Like this, this delay, I think the maximum you can do is 20 seconds or something like that. So you can put a sound right into there, delay it, and then slowly feed the, the remnants of it back into the system. So. But yeah, if I ran it in real time into this, it's just instant feedback, yeah, right, you know. Yeah. Unless it's heavily filtered or it's just, you know, the gain is not quite so advanced. What is controlling the panning right now? Is that the mixer? Yeah, so it's this, actually. So the whole, there's a separate breakout here that's doing a very slow pan controlled by LFOs here. Hmm. If you look closely, you can see the lights correlate with the speaker. So there's two channels. The left of that mixer, the right of the mixer are both going in here. <coughs> I like quad. I like um, that system because... Well, it's instant one-to-one. -one. You can you know, move a sound, have it hover. Obviously, you can animate changes. You can do things like send pan signals through the middle of the, the field. You can have them disappear between speakers in a really nice way. That's a great, I mean, that's the, the Coma who made that really thought deeply about what you'd want in a quad mixer. It's a riff on the Buchla, you know, spatializer, but I think it's a bit more powerful. And that you have that, that was it called it? Origin, origin and field. So the origin... Say we do a, here, let's do a, a constant sound in a circle just so we can hear it. So there's my bukla. Okay, so there's the bukla going around in a circle. Let's do it a little quicker, actually. Crackle coming from all kinds of different places. Okay, so there. Okay, so it's right now we have it even energy. So it's a sinusoidal pan crossing over, like um, linear to logarithmic, going from channel to channel. But you can then like you can do things like. You can take the create more space so that it's a pure sine wave going into a channel and then back out again on the other side so that the sounds actually disappear entirely. So you can lose signals for about a half to three quarters of the cycle between each, each pan. But then I have control over the master of that here. So I can actually, when there's a lot going, when there's four sounds, each on their own trajectory going, I can actually control the density with one knob. You know, I can just go in right here and I can say, okay, now I want them to mostly disappear, or I want them to mostly be present, and just do that with a single master um, slope control here, they call it. So that's, that's a nice implementation of that idea. So I can control the overall density of the sound with one knob, you know. <coughs> Same thing with master origin. So it's where the, does the sound rest at this speaker? Does it rest somewhere closer to the center? I can do that with a master origin control. So sounds are out outside, 
or they're in the middle, you can hear them on all four speakers, or they're just in one speaker, or they're just at one speaker disappearing between each. So you can actually, with a couple of controls here, control how much sound is in the room. So that's, I mean, I'm having, doing all the mixing within the system. I'm usually sending two channels of dry signal, maybe one channel of, of effects and one of reverb going to the four channels into this. So I have four mono signals that I can then move around. And each one is being controlled by an LFO. It's either a, a sawtooth that's going in a perfect circle or something more sinusoidal, so it quickly, and then you know, we'll stop here and then quickly go around, depending on where it's originating. Or I'll use two waves. I'll use uh, one controlling a VCA, like the overall volume, so it sends it loudly to that speaker, and then it's quiet when it goes somewhere else in the room. So um, it's not, I mean, the, the, obviously spatialization has gotten so complex and, and mature in the last 20, 30 years that you can do so much more, but for, for the sake of simplicity, having this one master controller that allows me to sort of play so easily with the room and almost like improvise with the spatialization as much as I'm improvising with the, the signals is actually really, really nice. Um, so I've chosen that. Before I used this one particular module, I had a whole a separate sidecar that was almost the size of this that was just doing the spatialization with lots of VCAs and lots of different enveloping. But I kind of prefer the simplicity of it. You know, um, Again, it's this idea that once I've delineated what it's going to do, I let it do it. You know, I say... I want you to slowly crawl around in the room until we speed it up or we'll start you know, breaking it down a little bit more, start filtering it, doing different things. Um, so I, I see a lot of this is like, I mean, I use the word algorithm a lot because it's essentially you're working in hardware with algorithms. You're saying that's a simple thing. Uh, a sawtooth wave controlling a circle <coughs> in equal energy is an algorithm. It's just once I turn it on, I know that the LFO will continue to oscillate until I tell it to stop. You know? So it's about setting change and letting the changes be constant and then not necessarily consciously thinking the entire time, okay, that sound is moving, until I, I notice it. I say, well, that one sound has been just doing a, a slow crawl around the room for 10 minutes. Maybe that's getting kind of irritating. And as soon as I hear that, I say, okay, it's time to change it. Or I just think formally, okay, it's time to move that around, do something else with it. But that's a decision that I'm afforded by the, the system itself. Okay, so let's, let's start to get some more of a complex sound going on with this. Okay, so right now, envelopes are opening that sound. That's a sustained buccal sound. We'll fade it in and fade it out. So the envelope that is yep. controlling the, the sound over here is it's, not controlled by the envelope. No, no, no. It's, I mean, it's not necessarily a follower. It's I trigger, I trigger an envelope here. <coughs> as soon as I trigger it, it starts. And it's triggered randomly. It's it is every time it gets an attack, it chooses a random rise and fall within a range that are, that are on switches here. So there's a low, mid, high. Um, so that's channel two, uh, channel, channel three. So let's do a really, let's do a slower one. We'll get a medium range. We'll do what four. Actually, it triggers the envelope? Uh, that's a good question. It, it's, um, it's not getting a trigger from the computer, so I have to loop it here. It's, it's looping. Yeah, it's looping here. So I can tell this to either the, the slew. Yeah, it's triggering itself, so you can do both. You can do. When I have it, I have this set. There's a lot of jumpers in the back. I have it set so that you can keep them in loop mode, but then it re-triggers when it gets a trigger. Or you can have it do a one-shot, and that it only will do one envelope as soon as you get one transient. So that's we're really not going to hear much because there's not much happening with that one sound because it's a drone, right? If I twitch, mm -hmm. switch it into loop, it'll actually start re-triggering itself. Yeah, let's turn this. So this is we're already starting to get lost. So there we're, we're between all the speakers. So that's a slow fade in. And the filter as well. Remember, it's going through the filter as well. So 
So that's a slow, the volume is just subtly getting louder and quieter, but it's also been the filter here as well. Yeah. So that's the low pass on the left and the high pass on the right. Left and right being left one cha panning channel, right the other panning channel. If I... So let's loop, yep, and slew. All right, and we'll put these back to the triggers here. So that way it just got one and it died. So there's nothing else going on now. So the next trigger from anything, I think, will start it. So let's start from the other channels. Okay, so. So, so you only use yeah. the next two. Uh, only only audio and those derived triggers. That's it. Everything else happens here. Um, sure, I could I could implement those envelopes in software, and then I could have a separate controller box just controlling them. Something about having the circuit actually working in voltage here, mm -hmm. I prefer. Uh, just because it's more, it's there's a there's a knob, the potentiometer on the top of this module that is directly controlling a circuit in the synth system itself, and it's creating those analog wave shapes. Well, actually, in this case, they're actually digital, but it's um, you know. Um, it's an emulation of an analog system running it in software on this board. I think it's running on an FPGA on the back of this module. So basically it's software, but... So why do you prefer it for hands-on control? Or that's, a, that's a great question because it's, you know, it's an aesthetic choice that it comes down to, right? There's no other way to interpret it. It's, if this is just software running in a module, what difference is it from running in a controller on here? It's because here I will have um, another controller to play that. I could sit here and do... Conservatively, 95% of this could happen in the software, right? And it's just as a matter of do I build it myself in software and have a dedicated controller box playing it? Or do I collaborate with Andre Consalves' ideas and his engineer? I forget the guy that ran Taya, but this is based on a, a, a module that was originally designed by a guy who now works for ADAC. Um, and I am, I am using their thoughts when I play it. It's, I mean, I could use someone else's software, sure. I went to Lisbon last year. I had a long conversation with Andre. I said, I've always wanted this kind of thing. And he's like, well, we've made it. It's based on this. And I said, oh, does it do this? He says, well, it doesn't do that. But what it does do is this. I said, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about doing it that way. And I tried it. And I said, I like this. I prefer this to the pre-existing ideas that I had when I came in to think about how to do this. So I'm using someone else's ideas. And that, and that they've implemented this module to be exactly what they wanted. I'm now working with their ideas. Do you have any preference for something that could happen in software or you could build? Because I was also thinking, like, if you have these expert sleepers interface, yeah, yeah. you can do a lot of the logic and controller stuff exactly, inside right. the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I'm so I, it's mostly exactly, right. In terms of efficiency, like, what, yeah. what is necessary to have in, in hardware is, like... Well, necessary. I mean, I mean, yeah, you know, but that's... I mean, if, that's you, a, if you think about, like, yeah. sound quality, for instance, or, yeah. I don't know, like, what, what would be your choices when you, when um, you say, like to decide between hardware and software? Um, it becomes messier when you start to go from analog to digital and back and forth and have successive generations of ADDA conversion, right? I like this. I, I'm, not, I'm not embracing messiness as an as a aesthetic choice. I'm embracing messiness because it adds something incalculable when you keep doing this transform. Now, for years, I did all of this stuff. I used a lot of Carl Heinz Essel's RTC Lib stuff and Max, which I love. You know, it's, like, it's great to have these rhythm generators and, and transient generators and things that would change over time. And I love that stuff. I'm really, I was really deep into thinking about how that stuff worked. And I started just you know, plugging that into here. But then you get so, I don't know, it, it, that stuff produces Carl Heinz Essel music. You know? um, this produces Andre Consalves music in a way, but I'm taking Andre's idea 
and mapping it to something and really tuning it into something that I like. You know what I mean? But it's not a personality thing per se. It's more just what you, what you're attracted to. You know, like you don't choose what you fall in love with. You just fall in love with something. You say that's wow, what a cool, what cool, an unbridled idea. I can take that and do this interesting thing with it. Let's try it. <coughs> and I try it, and I listen to the results, and I say, that's beautiful. That's so close to what, exactly what I want, but it's not exactly it. Mm-hmm. But can I, can I find that exact? Can I find that range in there that I'm happy with? And I feel like I'm getting there with this. This is as close to that. Um, I, I used to use uh, maths you know, like module, which is more of a, it doesn't have the random generators for this kind of random envelope generation. I liked it. I would seed it with, with white noise, sample and hold triggers, you know, to, to do all these values. But this is just so elegant in that it's doing basically the functionality of two maths with all the sample and holds built in, and it's this big. And I can then use that space as real estate to put something else in here. So it saves me, you know, maybe I'm sacrificing a subtle bit of complexity to have it be this small and playable. And plus, I don't really like these tiny knobs. I would rather the whole thing was covered in big knobs I could play. I have to get in there with my, my little fingers and play it this way. Okay, so let's... Start turning on other sounds. Won't listen to what's going on. Are these stereo sounds? Mono. mono. Each one is a mono 48k. So, so what are we hearing now? We're hearing the Buchla drone quietly filtered out. There's the rest of it there. So each channel in this mixer has an A and a B. So I'm just doing it as a pair. There's left and right. You know, this is a stereo channel. I just like having the coincident. You know the, the low pass and high pass and opposite sides, so that you can actually you can hear the full sound, but it's never going to be in the same speaker until these two channels cross over. If I turn the resonance up, you can really hear the division. The There's obviously the, the the resonance of the envelopes opening and closing. We'll bring in all four so you can hear. So there's four sounds going at once, just doing a slow pan. Um, it's doing, it's doing basically a, a clean circle, so we'll just give it a bit more. We'll give it, you know, let's see if I can get a little over here. We'll give the, the panning speed uh, one of the random, every time an envelope opens, it'll generate a random value, so we'll just give it one of those. So channel four, we'll control, control the first frequencies, panning speed. Channel three, envelope, every time it fires, we'll generate a new random value and control this one. Okay, so let's bring it up here. that's every time the Pukla drone, which is not generating triggers, or that window sound. Here, actually, this is bad because neither of those have triggers. Okay, so now every time the, the marimba hits a sound, it generates a new speed for the panning. So it's still doing that same one here. This is just the panning we're controlling now. Um, we'll do faster ones here. So it starts to quickly get into the range where I'm happy with the change. I'm happy with the sounds kind of showing up in a speaker, kind of ch- choosing to move quickly or not. You can hear some of it still is kind of slowly moving. That one sound is going in a big circle. That's just, that sound is just a, you know, a microphone right on a, a marimba key. Maybe I've like wedged it, so it's like distorting quite nicely, but I like that. I like, I like the quality of that sound. It sounds electronic, but it's just an, an overdriven acoustic recording. I have some pitch control there, but you know, it's, 
time stretching as well, but it's just simple. Time stretching is coming. It's just I have a. It's just that they re-engineered the SF play object in Mac, so you can just have this built-in real-time time stretching. Mm -hmm. So I have it. I have it as an option. I can either play it at twice the speed or down to half the speed. Oh, I so see. Okay. It's just there. Yeah, it's on a. So anyway, so that's so this is like this is starts to get into a full full sound, right? So we have some. There's four sounds moving. The Baluka sound is still buried in there somewhere. So obviously where I'm coming from aesthetically with this is, I mean, growing up listening to a lot of classic electronic music. I mean, I, I was on the outside looking in to all this, you know, um, GRM and Luke Ferrari and Parmigiani, all this kind of stuff. I really was a kid hearing this stuff and not really understanding how it works. And I still don't understand how a lot of it works. But I love the, the sound of acoustic sounds run through all this electronic battery of um, processing tools. That's an, it's an area of music I, f I still find really fascinating. I'm still a deep, die-hard researcher of music concrete and these classic forms. I'm not afraid of them. I'm not afraid of music concrete as like a, a, a time capsule thing. I really en enjoy it. It's not, I mean, it's, there's a living, breathing aspect to it, but what I'm interested in is that first wave, that kind of 50s, 60s, kind of right when these transformational tools became possible, which right when the idea in the 40s, the 30s and 40s of recording a sound to tape and modifying the playback. I mean, what an amazing thing that must have been to hear a sound at half speed for the first time. It was like, you know, you can't even think about that. We take all of this stuff for granted now, but transformation tools are so elegant these days. I mean, obviously, we're deep into the FFT bin, spectral analysis and resynthesis and all these, you know, amazing polyphonic picture detection and all these great things that are only recently possible, but it's, it's easy to lose sight of just filtering <laughs> and simple spatialization and, and playback speed and all these little things that are just so... They, tra they change sound so drastically, you know. So maybe, I'm not saying I'm a Luddite, but I do, I, I find a lot still in these simple transformations in a way that, you know, I could easily get lost in, in spectral resynthesis and morphing and all this kind of stuff, but I, I, I like the classic tools. And I've kind of based this instrument a bit on a lot of this classic stuff. So classic electroacoustic toolkit, but also, yeah, it's for sure I have the 303 and the drum machines and things. I'm still thinking about that 80s kind of machine music era that I still really love as well. So, okay, so that's the basics of redactions just as I can show it to you. When I play on Saturday, it'll be four sounds that are completely different from any of this stuff, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll test it and find a way to get it happening, and then there's a lot, of, a lot more embellishment than I'm doing right now. So there's, let's see, so we haven't even started with the effects layer or any of that stuff yet. Well, the effects are um, The effects are reverb, which is, a, again, a software reverb running on a module. Which I would, I mean, calling it a reverb is, a, is a, an injustice. It's quite a bit more than that um, here. But are they all on sends? They're, they're on sends. Yeah. So I only, right now at the moment, there's two mono sends. One is going to the reverb. The other one is doing this pedal chain. They're coming back on channels, mm -hmm. as stereo sends. So I can have the left and right separately. Um, when I get this full, once I repair this, which I, I broke the, one of the jacks off the other day. So once I repair that, I'll... Um, I'll send, usually I send the two mono drive signals, the reverb signal, and the, the pedal chain going into here. Because you can still, I can still bypass this and just use one at a time, even though it's, it's sequential. So this is like a guitar synthesizer that listens to the audio, guesses the pitch, and synthesizes a square wave roughly with enveloping. It's quite nice, actually. It's great to send speaking through it, and it's, you start to hear this almost Charles Dodge kind of resynthesis going on. It's just, it's doing a really good job of listening to all the different pitch inflections. Does it polyphonic? It does it monophonic, actually. So it's just like, it's basically like a Roland GR300. Here, I'll just, I'll try something so we can hear it. Um, here, let's listen to the, just the sound of that. Okay. 
it's going to kind of wait. There actually is a polyphonic mode that I haven't explored yet, but here, let's let's send it something that's. So got the sends rights. Everything's fine there. Just make sure this is all working. Huh? Oh, I see. I see. Okay, there we go. So that's the guitar sound. That sound. Yep, yep, yep. So that's. It's kind of nice, actually. It's trying. I mean, I have it. There's an offset of the pitch here, so it's trying to grab the pitch of that piano. It's trying to get the pitch. It's um, I think it's using a PLL, okay. a phase lock loop, you know. So it's basically like two. It hears. It, it takes the wave. It rectifies it. It's you know, square wave. Mm -hmm. And I think an oscillator comes from the top and one from the bottom, and they, they each kind of race to grab a half of the waveform. To half of a cycle to get a pitch from it, you know? So it's basically like two, it's the same circuit that's in like an octave pedal, but you know, this kind of like glitchy pitch follower. Yeah, let's listen to it right there. If it doesn't get a pitch, it kind of doesn't give you anything, which is why I like it. It's really selective, you know? It's only when you hear a clear, a note that sustains for more than a half a second, then it, or a quarter of a second, it'll give you a pitch. So it's kind of nice when you're working with these abstract kind of iterative sounds that don't really are, they're not centralized. When it gets a pitch, it's, it decides to give it back to you. Again, it's this idea of collaborating with the sound, you know, like. Yeah. It's a bit of a ghost in the machine thing with this, which is, you know, it's nice. That's all. Cheesy, you know, but I'm just showing you for effect, you know. It's, it's cool that you have this kind yeah. of like source material. Yeah, so there, yeah. 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 You can actually, you can derive, you can derive transient from this. It has a really elaborate uh, MIDI breakout on a pin, so you can actually all the, the there's a polyphonic and monophonic pitch detection. You can just plug this into a separate interface, and you have I think it's like four channels of MIDI pitch, and then also an onset, you know, like yeah, it's nice. It's a, it's a good, Sorry, it's it's not precise. That's the you know I mean for for playing a guitar or a bass, it, it works beautifully. Yeah, but you know using it for this, I'm perverting its use by trying to use it with broadband audio material. You know, but it's no, so there it's and then in the same chain, yeah. There's there's the dry sound. It's a bit distorted. There's a d delay pedal here with delay with chorus. You know, like classic. So I usually use it for this almost carplessy kind of tight delay time stuff, you know. This pedal as well, which is a nice, uh, this is like a Lexicon 480 reverb in a pedal. So you can do big, you know, exploding kind of reverbs, you know. What kind of era is that? These are contemporary, but this is based on the same Lexicon that Vangelis used in the Blade Runner soundtrack, which is hilarious. It's so specifically reverential, you know. This is what's, what's interesting about music instruments these days. like. So this is would be like an Eventide Clockworks harmonizer, a Roland Dimension D chorus, and a, you know, a, I don't know what era of delay, but yeah, like a 12-bit delay. You know, this specifically is a Lexicon 480 
with all that same stuff. There's a, there's a pitch, there's a shimmer in there as well. There's like a, you know, that kind of Brian Eno-y kind of thing where you can get the top octave if you want it. I find this stuff very playable, this Maris stuff. I just really like it. This is a modulating chorus, you know. Characteristic kind of sound. Very particular, yeah. But they've taken two things. They've taken that Eventide kind of octave up thing as well and added it. <coughs> and it's got two, there's a plate and there's like a cathedral reverb. So two different algorithms, you know. What's cool is that I have it disabled right now, but there's a mode where you can have the trail of the one continue while you go into the other mode. So it's almost like you have two reverbs in one. You can have one sustaining it infinitely, and when you start the other one at a smaller time, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool idea. No, no you, you can't do it with the reverb, no, definitely. The reverb is beautiful, though. I mean, you can do a lot of great stuff with it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's more of a sound sculpting tool than a, yeah. All of this kind of, this stuff where you get it kind of subtly feeding back, it's very playable, you know? So dark, slow, long reverbs, you know? This kind of stuff. Self-oscillation. Yeah, well, it's, it's just a tilt control. So like a um, filter, basically, is one way of looking at it. It's feeding down or it's feeding up in a feedback loop. So it's just taking, so you can have, you can create. It's nice with this kind of delay offset. So it got like 250 milliseconds of delay as well. So, so there's like the dry signal and then the wet one second. So that's just another, yeah, it's another toolkit, right? So there we go. So, so there's dry sound, all the filtering, all the enveloping, yeah, the spatialization, the effects. That's the general flow chart of every signal. Okay. This is not synced. Uh, right now, the only clock is coming from the triggers in the audio. Okay. Yeah. So Which this um. Is unpurposely random. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to keep as much randomness right. happening okay. as once. Okay. So. And then you would combine the. Sometimes I go back to back. Sometimes I, I kind of, because I can now, because there's, both are running simultaneously. Like this is running, been, the whole time we've been talking, this has been running other patch, so just in the background. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, if I'm really clever, I can kind of do one and then fade it out and do the next one. It's nice to think of them as two separate things. I can kind of put this to rest. Like I'm sharing the mixer, basically. That's the only thing that's shared between the two. And then maybe the effects chain are still coming out of the mixer, so that's being shared as well. Um, but they are two different things, so I would... That, that low hum? No, that's yeah. not me. No, yeah. that's coming from... It sounds pretty good, though, right? It sounds like an electronic sound, you yeah. know? We're hearing it filtered through all this concrete, so, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's got some subtle do you, resonance, do you ever too. Do work with live musicians or collaborate with live musicians? I have in the past, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a... Um, I don't have it installed because I'm not doing it at the moment, but there's a great module that does PLL pitch tracking and gates and enveloping and that kind of stuff. So you could, the same process I'm using in real time to derive the gates from the audio could easily just be a live input doing the same thing. And I was talking about that quad comparator module. So I could take four microphones um, and put them on a drum set, for example, and then trigger individual elements of the drum kit through four different comparators that are looking for onsets and then take those attacks and then play around with um, clock following these kind of algorithms to create subrhythms and things like that. I'll start doing the, the second half is more in depth about the, the timing side of it. Yeah. This is more just the timbral side of it, the first part. So, so can this also take a, a live input from like a... It could take just eight channels of audio from the computer. Actually, now up yeah. to uh, 16. Yeah. Right. There's a breakout there as well. So I think, um, yeah, with, it, with, with another module, you can do up to 24 out of the computer and 12 back in. So I can also, in addition, 
from taking the signals. I could send it back into Max for processing and then you know feed it back in. So it makes it pretty endless. Is there a reason why you use mono? Mono recordings? Yeah. I just like the simplicity of not having, because there's so much movement happening once it hits this system that I don't necessarily need to have the stereo image to start with. It's just a choice. I record in stereo. I mean, there's two mics, there's two mics in the system here that are always moving, you know, so it's just a matter of thinking about the sounds themselves. It's just mono occurring things and not necessarily keeping the image intact because I am going to then spatialize it anyway, so. I thought maybe you could like, mm -hmm. uh, input like or, uh, side or mono or uh, um, left, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I am not using it at the moment, but this is great um, mid-side decoder module here as well, sir. Yeah. Yeah, so you can take, you can do the, the central image as well. And it's really fun when you start doing things in the synth where you take a stereo image and you run it through the mid-side decoder and put like a reverb in the middle of it and then bring it back in to, you know, where you get this really odd stereo image where the, it's inverted on one side versus the other. So things start to cancel each other out as you move them around. That's really nice. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so what's next? Wow, we're really burning through this. This is great. It's only 2.15. Good, quick. Um, Okay, well, I mean, let, maybe let's, let's pause, and does anybody want to discuss anything particular about this yeah, stuff? I was wondering about yeah. the self-generating batches. Do you, okay. do you use so that's, more? yeah, yeah. The, so that was no computer evolved. Exactly, right. So that's just everything. So we'll start that in the, the, the next bit. That's fine. Um, yeah, so that's just, okay, so we'll start it. So everything, so same two channels coming out, so. I like this idea of, you know, I'm obviously, I'm, I'm thinking about, sorry, go ahead, please. Yeah, no, please. About your previous setup. Yeah. So, do you thought about ways, because you work a lot with surround sound, filtering, do you think it also as playing an instrument in a way, so I have all the recordings, subconsciously yeah. uh, play back, but when you play all the filtering, and mm -hmm. do you see that as playing uh, an instrument? Yeah, yeah there, are, there are oscillators, and the basic building block sense of the music there, each one of those audio recordings is an oscillator. It's a source, you know. Yeah. I'm not playing a sine wave at, you know, 500 hertz constantly, but I think of it as like it's, when I turn that oscillator off, it's making that signal. I can then use it to modulate things or do other things with it. But I'm not thinking of it as audio material, essentially. Yeah, you can yeah, yeah. Your yeah. Or, or to use a, a broader uh, analogy, it's a guitar string. So it's a, it's a bass guitar. There's four sounds. Each one is a string. It's just it's there to be manipulated or not. You're not thinking about all four strings when you're playing that string. It's there. You know it's going to be there when you come back to it. You know. So these sounds, whether they're sounding or not, they're they're active. They're completing their their duty. You know. So. Well, the microphone is <laughs> probably the, the root of it, right? Because none of this would be possible without the microphone, right? The transduction of the original sound, right? Because without, I mean, yeah, sure, I could self-oscillate yeah, okay, self the filters, but it's like, I mean, starting with the building block is the most important thing. So even before we get into electronic music, it's the, the sound, the, the, the concept of the sound to begin with is the most important yeah, thing. Yeah, so. I understand, but that's yeah. at the point you're forming, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's already done. So mm -hmm. then, then you're concentrating on playing with the sounds, right? Yeah. So uh, what, what is then the first, like, most powerful part in your uh, the, the, uh, the element of it, okay. Uh, um, element that you use or that you feel uh, 
makes most uh, like yeah influence on yeah. I think it's it's the the ranges, not necessarily any one element, but it's the way that you can play with attenuating and inverting ranges of things. You know, because you start to get very quickly into how you want to change a sound. Sure, but it's all possible because you can dial in how much it changes. You know, so fully attenuated, that envelope generator will just generate a transient, a 20 millisecond pulse that just you know, the sound comes on for 20 milliseconds and goes away, right? So between that and then hearing it as a sustained sound, there's a lot of travel, there's a lot of range, you know, it's a muting an attack so that it slowly fades in, you know, mutes the transients, but then the sustained part of the sound stays there. Um, having the transient be instantaneous or just a, you know, triangle waveform. It's like there's a lot, it's not just like you can present <coughs> an attack and a decay is <coughs> like finite concepts. There's gradation in there. There's so much in between, you know? Again, I, I labor this point of like not taking these basic things like envelopes for granted, but you know, there's an entire world of sound between how much a sound fades in and how much it fades out. I mean, there's this infinite, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we could play the same sample looping in a row and then just have it change over time by just controlling how much of those two elements is changing, you know. Whether it's doing, you know, the random values for every cycle, like I have it set right now, or it's gradually fading them in. I have also, I can, I can circumvent the randomness and just have a slow, the, the, you know, the, the attack is slowly opening and closing. And this is also going, the decay is at a different speed, so they're never quite the same envelope twice until both of the LFOs controlling them synchronize, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good point. I, I, in, in before I started this, I was playing this this piece called Occlusions. That was nothing but those things. It was nothing but uh, source of uncertainty, Buchla circuits, Wogglebug, you know, uh, Grant Richter's circuit. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can derive randomness, either by sampling white noise or by running signals through vactrols. So there's a lot of ways you can get, you know, randomness. And uh, chaotic things. Um, it, Rob Herdike's, what are they, what is it called? Rungler. It's a very it's a similar idea. It's like a tuned randomness, you know. Um, every synthesizer designer had their own way of implementing randomness, you know. Everyone, you know, Bob Moog's just sample and hold white noise, you know. John Buchla's stuff a bit more elegant with randomness, but um, they're all different ideas. And they're all completely different circuits. So it's just choosing whether you can hinge on one of these historical ideas of randomness. Whether I could use something like Carl Heinz Essel's very elegant versions of randomness that are doing all kinds of interesting patterns that are recognizable as patterns, or they're completely, you know, um, unrepeating. Um, these days, no, I don't, because it's I take the randomness from the audio in itself, and I think there's something so simple and beautiful about that. Just having it be, even somebody playing drums, you know, just playing a snare drum, you don't sort of hear it as a rhythm after a while; it becomes more of a texture, you know. Um, one of the things I find really difficult about the modular synthesizer is yeah. it invites you to do these kind of super deep, complex, branching yeah. out and tangled things. Yeah. But like thinking about those things and implementing them yeah. is quite far away from uh, doing something intuitively. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's kind of like this, what I said earlier, that kind of this, this yeah, holy girl, whatever, yeah. this balance between mm -hmm. really sophisticatedly designing some kind of passages super complex, mm -hmm. or just having a couple of things and just going with that. Like, for instance, your, uh, your field recordings that are 
super important to whatever happens next. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm, I'm glad we're arriving here now. This is the perfect time to talk about it. This is kind of like, I, I wait to get to this point to talk about this, which is, could you implement 128 layers of randomness in your synth? Yes, with all these tools, with the tools I have on hand. Should you is the great, greater question. I mean, how much delineation of randomness should you use, you know, and that's, that's what makes it a, a choice, a composition versus it being uh, an algorithm or, a, you know, just some mathematical exercise. I mean, there's so many aesthetic steps between having the, the way to make randomness and then choosing how to implement it, you know. This is what I was saying, attenuation is really the key because it's not necessarily having a million timing engines that are unsynchronized or LFOs. And, having them full range, changing things. It's letting something that's just been quietly doing its thing in the background then suddenly start influencing something else. That creates a musical event. It creates a, a choice, you know. The, the master analogy of the orchestra, yeah, that's like I, I kind of labor this one a bit, but every, every person in the orchestra has their own personality. You know, that person shows up drunk that day and they're playing a bit behind the, the bar. You know, it's like that creates the sound of, that you glean is significant. It's a group of musicians with different predilections all playing in a room. That's what makes music significant. I mean, I feel like even like solo performance, there's so many things that just are incalculable about music that you can appreciate. You know, I saw um, Ciro Baptista play a solo a tambourine set once, just tambourine for 45 minutes, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, this is like bordering on absurd. You know, as far as my, my background, I'm thinking, how is this person going to play a tambourine for 45 minutes? But he did, and it was absolutely incredible. It's like because there's so many things that you just forget that are just there in the performance of music. Not necessarily what you communicate to an audience, but how you look at this thing, the simple machine of a tambourine, this thing with symbols on the outside. And you think it's a sounding object, but each one of these things is individual. You know, you see a tambourine is this individual element, but yeah, that's, it's an array of symbols and each one has its sound. And it's not like he went around playing each one one at a time like this. It's just, it was like playing it like a tambourine, but it just was so, after a while, all you notice are the changes, you know? This is why I'm so like in, in awe of the classic minimalism because yeah, you, get, you get locked into this alpha state when you fully submit to music where you don't, you're not really like when it, it's like Lamont Young's Dream House is a great example of this. You go and you, you go to this room and there's seen the sine waves playing and there, everything is very calculated. It's perfectly designed to create phase cancellations as you move through the space, right? So you, you walk around, you find your spot on the carpet, you lie down, and then you have like a fixed experience while you're sitting still, but you're still hearing subtle changes because you can't stay still, you know? You can't just lie there completely motionless. You will move your head, you know, 10 minutes into it and the whole thing will change because it's so subtly, you know, the phases are so subtly changing. Um, yeah, so that's, I'm, I'm thinking about this a lot, uh, how you can, you can have a static thing that's happening that the only change that happens is within the listener, you know? Um, maybe I'm the listener in this case. So if I, if I bring up my sine wave cannon and it's just playing a sine wave, you know, sure, it's moving around the room, but it's, it's what changes is, is how you, your, your mind changes as you're hearing it. You know what I mean? You hear a drone, it's a beautiful thing, but when you finally admit to submit to it and you, you accept it, you, you start only hearing the changes. You start hearing only the perceptual things that happen over time. So even though this, this sound, if I leave it powered on, it'll go for three weeks, just like exactly like this. Yeah, the oscillators will slowly drift and they'll go out of tune, but for now, you start with a drone and it's, there's something so powerful about hearing that slightly detuned, you know, it's not, I've, I've done it all by hand, so it's not perfectly in tune, but two, two groups of three oscillators doing two roots and a fifth, right? So the first one is just, 
first two are a little bit out of tune. I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't want it to be exactly in tune. Right, so, and then there's, you know, control over So the first three oscillators, they all just have octave switches. That's pretty much the only control I have with them, right? <coughs> There's a master transpose there. So I can bring the whole thing up and down. We'll just keep it at there. Um, and what drives it, what drives the change, is just offsets, nothing else. So. The, the quantizer channel that I have in here, I really like it. It's just root fifth octave up in uh, pentatonic array. So the, the tuning's a bit wonky, but so that's it goes up a minor third, root fifth octave, and then up a fifth, root fifth octave. So it's the one the one oscillator's uh, wonky because it's all the way at the top of its edge of what it you know what, what pitch changes it can accept. So there we go. So the way to, to animate it, all I'm doing is I'm giving a rising sawtooth to a quantizer. So it's just a rising sawtooth wave that's not, there's a clock that's deciding when the pitch changes happen. And then there's a rising sawtooth that's changing the pitch through this quantizer. So it chooses when it gets to a threshold, it goes to that fifth. And then it goes to another threshold, it goes to the octave. And then another threshold, it goes to that minor third. And then does that, that you know, perfect fifth in the octave again. So the whole thing is there. Um, they're not related. And all the beauty happens between the, the phase differences between the, the speed the clock is happening at and the speed that the sawtooth is happening at. None of the values are fixed. They're all being generated in real time. So it's just the most simple algorithmic process imaginable. It's just pitting a clock speed, a trigger, against the differences between how this sawtooth is generating the notes. Actually, we'll do it with one voice just so you can hear. We'll start with just the root, and then we'll hear it before with the changes. So, so it's... Right, so there's all the values in there. But if I start giving the clock to, here, I'll put this at full speed. So it's doing the, it's, here. So I'll slow it down a lot, so. So that's, the, the sawtooth is like going here. It's very, very slowly going up. And then it comes down to the, with, down to the bottom again. As I speed that up, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's it's it's right about there. So the clock is right there. So there's a, it's about four notes for every cycle, but in a while it'll jump because it's they're not fully synchronized. It'll it'll skip a beat. So there, so then it goes to the next pattern of four. And that's a really, almost completely detuned, like it's the, the sawtooth is four times the speed of the clock. I'm sorry, a quarter of the speed of the clock, but it's, a lit, it's off just by a little bit, and that creates these longer evolving patterns. So as I tweak it a little bit. Very Steve Reich. Very Steve Reich? Well, like, in which, which sense, though? That's, everybody says Steve Reich, but it's way more Terry Raleigh than Steve Reich. But the, the clapping music, right. So that's, that's non-quantized, right? So this is... Yeah, so like come out or something is, is completely to the lined up recording and then it slowly goes out of phase or a piano phase, you know. They slowly go in a full loop around until they're synchronized again, right? So this is always quantizing it. It's always, the change is always happening at a clock. 
It's, you know, here, I'll, I'll even do it a little slower so we can hear it. The change will only happen at one of these things. So that's what's so interesting about it. So, right, so it does the, it's, it's sampling as the sawtooth goes up, it samples it like here, and then it starts to, you know, because it's going at twice the speed. It starts to move down and the next one goes up there, and then it comes down like this again. So it's just slowly, they're slowly offset a little bit. And this is like, I've, I've derived a, a 10 years of playing music off of this really simple premise of just the, having the, the clock and the, the generation of the note value be just at subtle offsets and playing around with the values. So, so that's like notes of groups of four. And as we speed it up a little more, Is it an arpeggiator though? Because it, is it starting at fixed values? Nothing is fixed, it's just completely like, it's all over the place. And then how much change is happening is also another thing, so. Sorry, I have this stuff, panning's a bit wonky right now, so. We'll just put it somewhere in the room and leave it there. Back there is good, okay. Okay, so then the next stage is, you know, once, once you have the one note going, you bring in the shift register just takes the, that note value, and then as soon as it changes it, it puts the previous value at the next oscillator, and then it pushes it down the line, and the next note value goes here. So you always have, if, if the notes are changing, then you always have three different notes. So there's three, right? Actually, I did it in completely opposite order. Here we go, so like this. One, these two are unisons. Right, so that's dun, 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 dun. So you're starting getting the, the pad. It almost sounds like a delay because it's two, two sine wave oscillators playing the same two notes, one down the line from each other, and then the fifth is there. But again, it's just there, it's still there as a static you know, a chord. It's just letting the, the change go in. So, so it's kind of like there, it's just offset and then every other pattern, it's, it stays one longer. I call this the, the soccer ball because it's like in a pattern of five, pattern of six, you know, it's like a, yeah, so. There's all these little patterns in here, that, you know, which we, we hear them as polyrhythms because they're constantly changing. We're hearing the, in relationship to the master clock, but psychologically, there's nothing, like the, the, the wave shape developing the, the, doing the melody isn't aware of the clock. So it's not like it's, it's influenced by it at all because they're just completely separately doing their thing, right? So. And then it's, if, you, if you start doing it like the root note down an octave, it starts to be a lot more, it's interesting here. You almost don't even hear it until it bottoms out. You hear the, the pulse at the bottom, you know, like, here, I'll, I'll slow it down a little bit. It's a bit fast right now. So this is again, so slowing down the master clock. Because there's, so you're hearing this, repeating patterns of three and occasionally there's a pattern of four as it resets. So, so here I'll speed it up a bit more. Okay, so. Okay. So it's bringing in the first, so this now we've opened up the range of it. So that's the first, you know, root fifth octave and then the, the third and there's the last note. That's the fifth coming down an octave, the second octave. So we hear it first top, and then we hear it second bottom. So it's interesting to think that you know, like the the frets on a on a guitar's neck, you know, this is these are the choices you have. You can choose the note, or you can choose. I can let this thing, you know, execute these two functions: a clock and a rising rising sawtooth. 
but then how it's played is changed. The only thing that changes is the octave, the range of the of the um, melody generation, the offset between the three different the pitches of the three oscillators, and then also the wave shapes. So right now it's doing sine waves. We can start then enveloping them. So same pitch. And as it's changing, I would just set one to one, you know. So it's just half the speed. So there's the original clock. But you see how it's still, it's still only changing them for every downbeat. Every one is just getting a change only when the clock happens. So I can do triplets, you know, or every third one, every fourth one, you know. And I have these running so that I can then randomize how much division is happening. So it just... So quickly you get to the point where you stop hearing the clock, the, the motor rhythm entirely. If I give it full control, a full range sample and hold value, every clock it's, it's getting a value of negative five volts to positive five volts. That's then choosing how much division from an, every eighth of the clock to eight times every clock. If I put it in the middle, you start getting all this, you know, but again, it's, it's, about, it's about attenuating it. So I want to give it the full value of randomness. I want to give it So that's the full full value. So we're getting a lot of like stutters and things like that in there. So, but right here, that's it, one to one. So even before we started to play around with the other aspects of it, it's there. So there's the rest of the quantization array. You start to hear all these these micro rhythms and melodies in there, and the shape of the here. Have all these different shapes of the envelope as well. We can invert it, fading in, triangle up and down, fading out. So the CVs you are sending come yep. from, from those. The CVs right. that I'm sending are the master clock is this thing called a, a PAM, a PAMless new workout. It's like four clocks, <coughs> the same clock three times. So it's just basically a, a 16th note of 160 BPM. Then on the breakout, I've got uh, every fourth, one to one again, every, every fourth, every half, every second. Uh, sorry, two times, half times, times four, minus four. Um, and then at the bottom row, is it's generating four completely random uh, values, negative five to positive five. It's really standable and hold, seating itself at every clock. So those, those random values are now here. And that's going to be, eventually, will be how much division, where the division is of this. So between every eight or eight times every clock, yeah. but completely randomly based on what value it gets at that particular clock. Right, so there. If I slow this down, like, obviously, there's a, there's a magic range in there. We'll give it, we'll make it a half speed here. Because it's a, it's a sequential chain, so the, the, the clock itself is just doing the clock. But then as soon as it gets to here and this randomness starts to get in, it's it's all relative, but I can still always slow down the master speed, even if it's constantly going. So yeah, yeah. this is, you don't really hear this as a, as a relationship to 80 BPM anymore because it's choosing so much randomness. You start to lose the actual pulse, the motor rhythm after a while. So, but it's still like when this completes a cycle is when it chooses the randomness over here, it chooses the note. This one master envelope is controlling all three voices coming out of this first quantizer here. Going on. There's one note CV going yeah. in. It's just this. It's yeah. the first. It's the channel one of this here. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so we'll turn the random. Yeah. 
and I just have the randomness on an attenuator. That's all. It's a passive attenuator. So it's just, if I want a little oh, bit, that's the attenuator. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if I give it a little bit, we'll see how it's hiccup every now and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, it's easy to understate how important attenuators are in this all of this stuff. A lot of these modules, like this, doesn't have any attenuation built in for any of these inputs for how much the wave shape is changing, how much the division is shaping, the the, the scale, how much the, the volume is going in and out, the shape of the wave. There are you can before the volume the the value goes into here, you can say just change it slightly. You know, I feel like this. There's a big step between between that, you know, and the, and just just it with a little influence. So you hear this kind of dancing, galloping rhythm is because it's just, you're giving it every now and then it crosses the threshold into the next stage of, of clock division. So it's, you know, uh, every second versus every first in this case, you know. Right? And it's still, everything else is still happening. So we still have all of our wave shaping. We still have the, the ranges are all here. The only thing that's, it's, it's with the limitation of this is because I have to use one envelope for all three voices. But you hear it start to hear it like a chord, you know. That's nice. I think there's a lot of magic in this. I mean, it's a little beepy right now, but I think there's a lot of nice stuff in here. It's one and one envelope. The left side is controlling the top three oscillators. The right envelope is controlling the bottom. We haven't turned the second half of the patch on yet. So there's another whole half right there. Yeah. Yeah. Here. We'll put the other other side over here. So we haven't even started clocking or anything. That's the other half. The other three oscillators are here. Right? Okay. So that's channel one, channel two. So then, same same clock, but with different channel of, of um, clock division, different channel of note generation. So we'll just moving that up. So this is going at half the speed. Just no no enveloping. Just to you know. Right. So it's a lot slower. You know, it's and it's it's all here. I can I can dial it in right there. Now it's just doing. You can do triplets. You know, uh, threes. So you, again, you reframe the focus of it. You know. Now you're start, you're starting to hear it. That's you know. One two three four five six. One two three four five six. One two three. Because the lowest psychologically, the lowest sound will always your your brain will instantly hear the lowest frequency is the root. You know, yeah. it's interesting. You know, so if I if I bring that back up here, it starts to get a little grayer. Here. Now that now that serves you're sort of jockeying to, for that to become the focus because it's you know yeah, especially if you start to envelope it more like here. And then again, if we if we put the give it the randomness to the second channel, so it's. And this is it's basically fixed timing, or you can sort of measure. Yeah, well, it's here. It's, it's now now this is this is another beautiful thing about this. These clock followers, whether you're giving it clock or not, they're going to keep going. All they do is it resets it when it hears a new clock at every step, it resets it. But they're both still going. After about 10 seconds, they're going to start to drift away from each other because we're not getting in any new information. They're just, they're, you know, they hear two triggers. So here, we'll, we'll put it one to one. 
Let's talk about your Steve Rice thing. Just give it a second, it'll... They're gonna start to... ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum you know? That's already starting, yeah. So, and then if we, as soon as you start the clock, right, and then it's there again, but you've turned it off, it, it keeps going. It's just resetting it, so yeah. This is, again, it's, it's, okay. this is what, when I talk about collaboration, like, I would have never thought of building a system in Max or something like that, where it, it, it will continue to, Max would, would accurately keep time. It's a digital clock, it would keep, you know, sample accurate, you know, especially if you use, like, the phaser wave, like, clocking method. It's not gonna lose sync. Like, two things won't lose sync in Max for a couple days, right? This thing, because it's not the most, it's, it's I forget the circuit that, that Dan and Ralph use for this thing, but it's, it's, it's listening for voltage and then it's locking on and it's doing it. Two identical circuits, they're still gonna drift apart from each other. I mean, it's, it's, it's subliminal now, but you can hear there's one, one's, you hear the clicking here, it's like, here, I'll go to tight pulse. Yeah, so that one's a little bit faster, that's ahead of it. All those years of DJing really pay off when it comes to times like this, you know, it's like slightly at a time, like you kind of just want to speed that one up a little bit, you know, but then if you start it again, another, you know, you know. okay. So there, so that's two voices. And then I have um, the sub, every oscillator has a sub octave, so those are here. An octave lower. And also, I can choose to give that the envelope as well. So there's the same values, same oscillators. Right? And again, the whole thing is still being controlled. Transpose is still here, available, you know. You can actually, this, I just got this a couple weeks ago. It's, um, you can actually sequence from this now, so you can make sequences of transpos transpositions or baselines, whatever you want to call it, but you know. As a memory? Yeah, it has, it has a 120, it has a, a SH-101 sequencer, like a 128 step, uh, you know, I haven't even learned it yet. All, this is as far as I've gotten with it, you know. Just to be able to reframe it. It's, it's not in the scale, it's, it's you know, it's... And that goes to the sub... Uh, it's going to the transpose input of each of the quantizers. Right. So I feel like this is like an acceptable threshold of randomness. Like you hear this is musical time still. It's still very much motor rhythm pulse. And it's doing that kind of riffing around the actual, you know, the change there. We still have all of our super low. And then of course the whole thing is still there.
So it's pretty like, you know, it's formally you have a lot of control over not just the sound, but the, the structural side of it as well. So, so that's, okay. Still, everything is still exactly where it was when we stopped. So we still have all, all the oscillators are all still there. I can still master attenuate everything, bring up everything back up to zero. It's probably drifted a little bit. See, a bit of drift, but the drift is nice. I mean, it's like the whole trick with the tuning oscillators is really, it's one of those things that at first I got so upset when things got out of tune like this, but actually that's kind of the beauty of working with these instruments is that it's, You just have to be on your feet about keeping it, you know. That's it, you're gonna take off? All right, yeah, no worries. Yeah, I mean, I prefer that subtly beating sound to like perfectly in tune but that's just the nature of this stuff it's having the having the waveforms be slightly to tune is a great sound so all right so that's that's the heart of that is is that idea of this this canon patch and there's a lot of things i can do we can start getting into randomizing and skipping beats and all that but as it's almost three o'clock when we take a little break for 10 20 minutes we're already gonna have a couple cigarettes a cup of coffee and then we'll come back and i'll start showing you how to start mapping this sort of rhythm engine to other things. Like we'll start working with the uh, drum sounds and the 303 and the, the sort of wavetable oscillators and things as well. Because then, then we can sort of turn it into a, a, an ensemble instead of just having, sticking with this you know, six voice idea, but actually start turning it into something more close to what I do when I play. So, all right, break time. Please. They've gotten really, really small. These yeah. things. This yeah. one's great because it has the blade, right? So you oh, never, yeah. you never yeah. lose the. Yeah, I just, I just yeah, yeah. discovered <laughs> this online. Yeah, I think it just so. came out. I got it in Japan yeah. last month, uh, so yeah. it's yeah. yeah. That's what I've got a BCM 100. Yeah, I like the. I had the 100 before yeah. I got this. You know, honestly, I don't yeah. miss it. I can never use the XLR inputs anyway. So. Um, yeah, XLR the doesn't yeah. even have the XLR. You know what's great is yeah. that they actually yeah. they changed it yeah. so that you can just do it's line or a mic in one input. Yeah, so you can okay. same with the, that's why he uses Olympus for mm -hmm. years. You could actually do yeah. both. Um, the line recording, the, the the AD converters are really good. It does twenty four ninety six and there's almost no jitter. Oh, yeah. You can record with this thing and then record to a computer and then when you go to line them up, it's like perfect. Okay. It's maybe like two frames off for an hour, right. but yeah, yeah. and it's still you can move the mics around and do all that. It's tiny. Yeah, yeah. I like that Sony a lot. The D one hundred. Yeah. Have the Zoom H one just yeah, always yeah. to carry yeah. around with me, which the quality mm -hmm. is a bit, but. Really nice that it's so yeah, yeah. small and you can also you can you can yeah. it somewhere and yeah. never mind if it gets wet or yeah <laughs> totally. How much gigs? Yeah. I have I think 128 gigs in there yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really it's limitless. It has an SD yeah. card. They finally gave up the idea of the memory. What were they? What was their proprietary yeah, yeah, yeah. memory called? Yeah. Uh, I forget. Yeah, but now it's just a micro SD. Yeah. So okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You can put like a, a 512 gigabyte micro SD in there and record for months and never never run out of space. <laughs> I haven't tried using it as like an MP3 player, but it's you know you can do all sorts of stuff with it. That's the Audio Moth. It's uh, it's for recording bats. It records up to 384k. One more question. 
Yeah, yeah please. Uh, Sebastian. Hi, how do you do? Nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to join earlier because he is actually uh, very much working in the field. Oh, nice. Okay. So I allowed him to. Uh, oh, that's fine, a, of course. Yeah, yeah. Sneak peek. Yeah, that's fine, of course. Thank you. Yeah. Can I get you coffee or something? Uh, yeah, coffee would be great, actually. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. How's it going? Yeah, good so far. I'm kind of rambling a little bit, you know, it's mm -hmm. a jet lag and all that, but it's, yeah, going so good. Oh, you, you were interested in this, particularly the. Well, more your approach and what uh, you say. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> That's not. I'm trying not to make it show and tell, but it's. Uh, it always turns into this, isn't it? Oh. No. Happens. Yeah, it does happen. When did you arrive? Uh, yesterday. Oh, so yeah, I'm still a bit. That's okay. No, it's fine. I do, this, I do the same thing, yeah. I, my eyes have really failed me in recent times, so. Yeah. I do the same thing. I, now when I look at the serial number or something, I always take a photo of it, you know, like yeah. zoom in like that to read it. So you were a DJ, you said? Yeah, for years. I still DJ a lot, but. Cool. Yeah. It's funny. I always just want to play tape music at the club and, you know, dance music at the gallery, you know, it's the same. Just piss people off, I guess. But. <laughs> When you want to continue, sorry. No, that's no, okay, please. When you want to continue? On oh, like 15 minutes ago, yeah, just go take a break. It's fine. Yeah. I was wondering, you, you bought this uh, MIDI <laughs> general, MIDI general. Yeah, yeah, it's there. Is, is it it's there. It's really fantastic. That yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, I have it also. Yeah, I yeah. Was wondering, oh, there's so many uses. So I was really wondering, how do you? Yeah, I'm really impressed with him, Andrew Ostler. He's um, he just updated it a month ago, and there's two oh, new modes. There's a, there's a Shepherd reset mode where you can do. It does all of the math. Mm -hmm. So you can do the barber pole tones yeah. with, with using those general MIDI sounds. And there's also a MIDI granular, which is, you know, like the old Akai sample. You just give it too much MIDI information and it. You can scrub through the sounds and do all this really great stuff. It's very clever, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm just using that, the drums mode on it right now. But that's, even that's really genius because there's nine trigger inputs and the volume, like from one volt to five volt, the volume of the trigger controls the velocity, mini of one yeah. to one to one. So if you run your triggers through VCAs, mm -hmm. you can do like stutter just by controlling the volume that way. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that patch in a little bit. That's really fun. Uh -huh. The resolution is very good. I mean, you can really just do buzzing, almost like oscillators of just MIDI sounds, you know, like really, you can get up to about 16K of just the MIDI resolution, oh, wow. you know? Yeah, that's really impressive. And he's, you know, always revising the stuff. And even the disting has like new, there's weight table oscillators and cross-fading loop samplers and all this stuff. Yeah, it's great. I've never used it to play back MIDI files, though, even though I have, I have uh, every WC piece as a MIDI file in there. And I tried to play it back the other day with like horn sounds or something. That's yeah. funny, but. I was thinking about the MIDI files as information source. Exactly. Like similar to yeah, using, audio, yeah, exactly, right, yeah. That's, that's why I thought, why I got it and how I thought mm -hmm. I'd use it. It's just giving it. MIDI files is timings, basically, you know. Yeah. But now I just, because it's, I found out this patch, it's more fun. It's, it's less of a, of a hassle to just put unexpurgated audio in the computer and have yeah. all that stuff happen yeah. in real time yeah. than to program the, the audio to MIDI analysis and able to turn something and then put it in there, but, and then synchronize and do all this stuff, so now. You can, I think, in the next general CV, and definitely the, the disting now, you can just play back audio, and I think he's even doing a audio with trigger <laughs> oh, really? Like so the same, basically the same thing, oh, like audio with a built-in trigger, like a transient analysis. Then you wouldn't need to yeah. adapt a bit anymore. 
you wouldn't need the laptop at all. Yeah, I'll just use that and play the audio off of the you know, SD card. Yeah. Yeah. What's your name, by the way? I'm Slavo. Slavo, Keith, nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. I'm Roger. Roger? Yeah. Keith, nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. You know Sean Clancy? Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He told me to. He's one of my prolific internet friends. Yes, oh, we're always right. chatting about this. Ah, <laughs> oh, lovely. Wow, cannolis. cannolis. Amazing. We should wow. put these on the table. Yeah, 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 of course. Well, I love them. I wanted you to play at this festival in Wetzlar. Oh, yeah, next, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm fine. I'll take one. Thank you. Please, you should. But it was always difficult with the logistics, obviously. Did you, you know, I have to apologize if you tried to deal with Chloe. I had a really hard time with her. She was very difficult. Like, I don't work with I don't work with her anymore for maybe one year. I have a guy in Portugal who I'm working with now who's great, this guy Pedro. He does like uh, R.P. Boo and all, and mm -hmm. like he does like uh, Alexander von Schliffenbach and all these old yeah, jazz guys. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. he's been, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you had AMM, wow, Jesus. Yeah, mm. still fresh. Mm. Watermelon coffee is amazing, it's so good. This is great, you know, Montagan. They, they're playing here as well, right? Or, yes. Yeah. Peter Zanovia from Rusi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Collaboration with Sonic Gags. We did some co-commissions for the Pentacle, this circular. Sound system, mm -hmm. 15.3 channels that it was developed oh, yeah. by. Oh, here, it's, it's here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll go see it later. So. Yeah, so we had some like the premieres in mm. November. And this is in, in um, Slovenia? It's Slovakia. Slovakia, so, sorry. Yeah. sorry yeah. So you're going now back to the States? For I, moved, I moved back to the States this month, so, well, January. So it's a bit easier to come to Europe now. From Australia, it was very difficult. Yeah, like, it still came over all the time, but it was just so expensive. So, yeah, it was good. I'm sure, like, end of November, uh, because I think we will usually, I believe, like, the last November weekend. Mm -hmm. sure. Because I have, I've seen your schedule online, like, yeah. very I think, briefly, but... I, I think November is good. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think it's good this year. Usually I say nothing in like December so I can be with my family, but right. end of end of November I'll be in Europe already. Already. I think I'm doing something at Zikai um, then wow, in like mid mid November, so it'll be I'll be already over here. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So it's I think Zikai is like 20th to 25th or something like that. Okay. It's Monday to Friday, so that's like that's perfect then. So anyway, yeah, write me or if you write Pedro either way. So Pedro will be here this weekend. He's gonna be around. So I think someone else is playing here that he books. So he can. It's good. So it's gone well then, the festival, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love Lucy. She was in New York last month and I spent a lot of time with her. Yeah, she's, she's cool. amazing. She did this like Henning Christiansen pieces with James Rushford. Yeah, it was yeah, amazing. No, it was so good. But, and we had this duo yeah. with Peter mm -hmm. Wrong. <laughs> I know she works for Peter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and by the way, I'm really interested in this stuff because I'm also studying here now at this time. Oh, nice. Okay. So we had this uh, Sonologies time collaboration. That's right. So I'm working on some instruments and interfaces. That's the name of the program. Nice. And really like no. try to working on a hybrid system, mm. like computer with this uh, Express Libre thing. Yeah. But then I ended up with a software version <laughs> for now because it's much more transportable. Yeah, of course. It's like, yeah, <laughs> Yeah. I came here in 2005 
to style the old style, you know. And um, Jan Werner was the music director here at the time, so I came a lot. He was always like, you know, because Jan's a good friend still. And um, I tried to, when Michelle was still here, still alive, I tried to build this complex touch plate controller for Max using a, basically the same idea that expert sleepers have H2, like a USB MIDI, but using OSC, you know, which is very young at the time to have more resolution, and it was such a nightmare. And he kept, Michelle keeps saying, why are you building this? It's so stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, you're helping me with this. He's like, yeah, but I don't want to help you. It's stupid. I'm like, oh, come on, you know. <laughs> I miss him, you know. He was such a great guy. It was really, I like that your mentors that are still very critical of what you do, you know. He's like, don't do that. Who wants to see you play that thing? Just play, yeah. just play a MIDI fader box. I'm trying try to use the, this new pressure sensitive thing that sends all more. Oh yeah, sure, of course. And yeah, this yeah. is like well, sending all yeah, the yeah. pressure data and yeah, everything, yeah. and it, mm. about like to connect it to, to the modular system. Yeah, I, I tr I've played around with that and like the Hawken continuum and the Linstrument. Mm -hmm. Actually, I like the Linstrument. It's nice. It's 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 soft. It's like squishy foam. You know, it's nice to play. But yeah, but of course, yeah. those are more expensive. I would say. Yeah, so of course. Yeah. 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 Parat, like P-A-R-A-T, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the touch control, yeah. Um, yeah, I was using, um, for a while, what's the name of that? It's like another DAW, it's not Ableton, but Bitwig. They built a whole multi-touch layer onto it. This is like the last, not the version that's coming out, but the old one. And you can run it. I had like a Microsoft tablet. And it was actually really good. You could do all the multi-touch gestures, slide three fingers, two double taps, and things like that. And it, would, it was actually fairly responsive. But I didn't stick to it because I had an old um, Surface, and it was like really struggling to run the whole, every layer of that program. But what's cool about that is you can sandbox things so that um, it, you can prioritize the multi-touch layer and then like deprioritize the audio layer so that it actually was more, you know. Or when a, when a plugin crashes, it actually only crashes localized into yeah. just that one thing. It was really it was smart the way they did it. It's good for live performance. But. Mira is great. Yeah, I'm using it a lot for. I'm also doing this Max guitar stuff, and I use Mira for everything now. Yeah. No, no, they stopped. Yeah, they, there was talk of doing audio in Mira, and there was talk of porting Max to iPad, but it's just iOS is so restrictive. And it, it, it would be impossible to do something like Max with all these third-party objects, because they'd have to, Apple would have to clear each one, so. It's a really a shame. Everybody wants that. Everyone wants to have something like Max on an iPad, you know, but it's, I think there's yeah. ways to run PD on an iPad. There is. There's one way to do it, and it's not very good. Mm. You have to really I've hack it. Yeah. it yeah. You have to basically sideload it, and it still is very clunky, because it calls to things that aren't there, so, yeah. You can run PD on a like a Windows tablet, and it works really well. It's nice. You can run Max on a Windows tablet as long as it runs Windows. Yeah, no, don't don't start now. <laughs> yeah, I have to buy a new laptop this year because this one is finally dying. The half of the keyboard and the mouse no longer work. But I know. I know. I've heard. Yeah. It was interesting what you were saying about the 303. Mm. It was like the like following for one year project mm. uh, time stretch 303s and yeah. take it kind of as a source and 
there's something else for this. Yeah. Have you seen, um, what's his name, uh, Andreas Berthling has that, like, four 303s, and just like ambient music with just 303s. It's really, really good. TM-404, yeah. Sorry, it's Andreas Tillander. I always get this guy's confused. Not Andreas Berthling, Andreas Tillander. Yeah, that's really, I love that stuff. Yeah. It's a nice approach because he's a purist about the hardware, but then he uses it yeah. in the least traditional way, you know. Yeah. yeah. I just sample it and then I yeah. stretch it and it becomes something mm -hmm. else. Mm. Okay. But it's interesting what happens because it has so much, like so much partials and so on. So a few times you have a lot of like transients, uh, anomalies. Yeah. 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 That's good. Nobody's made a, an accurate 303 since that XOX box was probably the last one that I heard that I liked. Yeah, fair enough. There you go. Yeah. I do like that Devilfish mod, though. That's really, that adds something special. Yeah, it's, yeah. There's so many people who are doing this at the moment, like the 606 and 303 mods, you know, so. <laughs> yes, it will lose value, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's something you risk. Every time you drive a car, it loses value, you know? It's like, every time you use your synthesizer, it loses value, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I destroyed it, yeah, yeah. I'm playing the, a, a piece in the Acousmonium tomorrow night in Paradiso. Okay, it's a tape piece, you know. And then on Saturday, I'm playing uh, this. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> What's that? I'm doing a tape piece tomorrow night, like a 80 channel, a JRM piece. Acousmonium, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah? Sorry. Yeah, of course. What is it? Spit out. Um, well, Audio so, or control? So, so the, the thing is, <laughs> Sorry, um, just it's like a little this. electromagnetic coil. Oh, okay. So, so, jack, it's so you can just plug that in, and the electromagnetic coil will then pick up the, um, like the direct signal from the speaker. Okay. So it's just like an open speaker. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah at the end, let's, let's um, in like an hour or so, let's plug it in. It's very tactile yeah. as well because basically yeah. so there's mm. a little battery powered amp. Okay. Did you did you build it yourself or is it? Well, yeah, I mean it's basically a speaker. And I say it's just simple, yeah. Okay. So, but it makes a feedback kind of. Feedback, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had a, an instrument that was like a, a one of those like cigar pack with a speaker on it, you know, with a nine volt yeah. battery and then a, a microphone input. And you just play it with a contact mic, the Victorian synthesizer. You know this yes, thing? Yes, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Victorian synthesizer. Yeah. John Rose, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was it John? I think so, yeah, yeah. It was one of those, like, you know, 70s, 80s. Yeah. Also yeah. About it, but he, yeah. In his book, he calls it the Victorian. Yeah, side, that's yeah. right, yeah. Or the yeah. jumping speaker of something. Something, yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I read that book, but it's, yeah. It's a, yeah, that's basically where. Well, yeah, I've kind of got the idea from that, but then the contact mics, like. Right, yeah. Yeah, you get a lot of really amazing sounds for, yes, yeah. Exactly. Just like the side of the contact mic on the speaker, and just like getting these weird, like transients. Exactly. Yeah. So nice. And if you put like a glass jar on top of it as well, and you kind of rub it. Over yeah, it and it gives you the whoop, 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 like the yeah, the sub oscillating thing. Yeah. Cool. Can you say again how do you use this mid side processing? You know, I haven't actually used it much, but it does both directions. Yeah, yeah. So you can go from a stereo 
<coughs> and just get the mid signal or the side yeah. signal separately. And so it's both ways. It's in yeah. to mid and then mid to in. So it's nice as a, I just was using it to use spatial processing, like, you know, something like a reverb or delay and then have it come back in and you get this amazing, it's like inverted on one side and the other. Yeah. And then when you mix it together, you start getting this really strange then phase. you have a and how do you specialize it in four channels? You don't, it's only two channels, yeah, yeah. So it's, this is only, you can use either direction, but it's only two channels per. So I just use it sometimes when I'm coming in, I'll use it to create a separate mirror. Like I'll, I'll copy the standard left and right, and then I'll do the mid side, and then yeah. the two channels, and then play with them independently. That works really well. But you have to multiply from here the signal and then have two different copies to go in, so. Mm -hmm. yeah. <coughs> yeah, I have it as well, I use it, but yeah. never really, yeah. You have the same one, or the? Yeah, I have the same one, yeah. Yeah, from Morgan, yeah. I was living in Melbourne the uh, last three years, and I saw Morgan quite often. He's a really lovely guy. He just released a new, have you seen the sound field thing that he just put out? That's really fascinating. So it's like, um, from, yeah, for, from Warren, it's, uh, it's like the nearness. But so basically it's like it, there's three layers, and it's low, mid, and high. And then each like, spectral layer has a, a separate mixer that's just inputs. So if you plug into the leftmost one, it's mostly in the left channel, and then almost completely muted in the right channel. And as you go across, it's actually like panning, okay, but just fixed okay. fixed inputs. So you can have, it's like 15 inputs. So low, mid, and high, and then five spaces in the stereo spectrum. But like a Unity mixer, so there's no, and I think there's some resonance control at the bottom, so you can use it as almost like a Buchla spectral image processor, you know, something like that. Silk's filter bank, yeah. Or like the Moog, what's the 904, that kind of thing, you know, it's 904, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see it. He finished it after I left, so I haven't seen a finished one, but. He's a very smart guy. What's that? Stereo? It's stereo only, yeah, it's two channels. Because it's, it has to be a proximity from the left to the right, so it can only be two. Maybe he'll do a multi-channel one. I have his, like, um, what's the other one? He did the dome, like the joystick axis generator one. That's really nice, vector something, vector shape or something like that, I forget what it's called. Well, it's nice. It's just one guy. It's just one guy, yeah. I think I as a kid or something. Right, yeah. Yeah, he's the tech at this place called Mess, which is a, a synthesizer studio in Melbourne, which is a really great place to work. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we'll start up again. Everybody get a cannoli? That one at one? <laughs> okay. So, all right, we'll continue with the previous thought of the uh, talking about rhythms. I'll just show you quickly <coughs> how to do something interesting with rhythm in this, using the same time basis we're using to generate the melodies. And then after that, we can just do more if anybody has any particular questions or things they want to see or look at within the system, we can do that. Okay. Or even just like talk about your own processes. I, I didn't mean for this to be so much of a, <laughs> like a lecture than a workshop. You know, obviously, it's, it's better if everybody gets something out of this if they, if they want to solve a particular problem or anything. Just definitely, if I can help in any way in helping you solve a problem, then I'm glad to. Uh, okay, so let's go on with this. So we still have our patch running that's doing that nice, it's doing the melody. All right, so that's still there. It's gone out of tune. Even while we were sitting here, it went out of tune.
It's amazing how that happens so quickly. Maybe the synthesizer just wanted a cannoli and we didn't share it and it got mad. Okay, so, so while we have this going, okay. There's also this layer here. Okay, so we've got the same idea. We'll keep this quietly in the background. So, same idea with the clock divider. So we have the two that are controlling the two envelopes of the pitch over here, right? This is still there. But they're independent, so they're on, on top of the, the two major like clock divider envelopes that are doing the pitch things. There's separate clock dividers up here that are a bit more wide-ranging, so they can go down to every 32 subdivisions, and then also up to 16 multipliers. What I like about this is, okay, so there's like every other one. I almost only use these on prime number settings. So still, everything is controlled by the same master clock. And we still have that same way of mapping randomness into these things. So we'll take a value. Actually, it's already getting it. There we go. So, so you're doing prime number division now. You can do prime number divisions. I've, I've dialed to that as this, the base. So that's without any randomness in there. It's just doing every, what's that, every? Here, let's just do one sound until before we get totally lost with this. Changing pitch too. Let's just take, take that out. Okay, so there's. Where's the sampling source coming from? It's coming from this Erica drum module. These are. Right, so there's all kinds of bad sounds in here, but I'll tell you what, we'll do the next one. One of them I have like some stock basic sounds, the other one I have Lindrum. Do the same trick where we start to give it some randomness. Right? Again, it's, again with this idea of like, it's interesting to let it kind of reframe where it is itself. Because you don't really hear this as a standard, but this is still doing a pattern that's not resolving in fours or eights. It's doing kind of a longer, longer cycle. But then if you start to really de-emphasize where the center is. Starts to quickly sound like you know a heavy metal drummer, a kick drum, Dave Lombardo kind of thing, right? It's not just turn. It's just here. It's how much how much rhythm random as it gets. So what's this? One two three. One two three. One two three. Right. So there's a standard kick drum down there. Because we you hear this, you instantly this is what you expect from this kind of thing. You expect every four kick drum or every two, you know. But I love that you just, again, you just you have the attenuator here that's just saying how much of that random, again, it's every time the clock gets a downbeat, there's four random values here. There are four completely different random values, so it's not getting the same ones. We just give it a little bit of influence. 
it'll start skipping beats. Before it multiplies, it'll start skipping. Right? And the center is still every four beats. So it's modulating up and down. It goes to every th three beats, every five beats, every two beats, every six, seven, eight. Which was great about this is that you can set the center independently for each voice. So we'll give it we'll give it the next voice a different one here. It's this one. Trapped in the maze. There we go. All right, so two voices, kick drum and we'll do a snare drum for the second one. They can, yeah. I, mean, I can, I can disable this, and they can just be here, because they're getting the same clock. Yeah, yeah, the same clock, but I mean, well, they won't take the same. Um, actually, that's a good. Yeah, I had, I had exclusion on, so they're actually in the module. One of the only switches is exclusion for doing like open hi hat, close hi hat. Like you know, that'll sound unnatural if they're the same time, right? So it actually has a built-in exclusion. So now they will, they'll only go if they're not on top of each other. But if I hit that switch again, then, right? So the ones that are on top of each other, yeah. it mutes that one. It only mutes the second voice in favor of the first. So there's a bit of priority. That's interesting design. That's like the, one of the, there's only two switches on here. You have to be economical about what manual controls. And that obviously is important enough to warrant having that exclusivity channel right on the, on the faceplate. It's not even like a deep menu option. It's right there. So this is like, so when Gertz designed this, he thought well, that's going to be really useful to people to have that. But so here we go. So we'll go back to where we were. We'll give it a bit of randomness. I guess, I mean, right away, it's, it gets really, right? Right, there's no, there's no enveloping or anything in this. It's just, it's on, it just triggers at once. But it's amazing how, even within just the resolution of it by itself, I mean, listen, it's like, yeah, the, it's like the pitch of the snare drum. So it's almost like you could use that separate thing as an oscillator. I mean, it sounds like very quickly like... Right? It's pretty... I mean, you can hear it jittering a little bit, but... So this, this idea of how you can go so quickly from rhythm to pitch is a really fascinating one. It's, uh, you know was that there's that Stockhausen piece. Is it him then where it starts out with a, a pitch and it goes down to pulses at the bottom. I always think about that with this, but. So, but that's like, I mean, this is like the clunkiest possible application of this is just having it be randomness, subdivisions like this. But what's great is, right? We'll give it full randomness on a low setting. Change that sound.
That one's slightly better. What's that? What's the fastest you can get? I just I was just showing you that, so it's with no randomness. It's actually, they're in tune with each other. That's the amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just, that's only because we happen to be going at... What's that? The kick and clap. Kick and the snare, I think. We're, yeah, yeah, we're going now, so. But just, these are like just the generic sounds, but yeah. It's cool. I mean, it's this is. I mean, it's a clunky example to, to outline this. But what's so interesting is that just within eight beats of a bar, you've got every pretty much every genre of music, right? I mean, it's all. It's some of it's dependent on tempo. But I hear that it's like I instantly want to think, what is that? You know, it's doing a, like kind of a shuffle. You know, a little bit just only because we're hearing it as threes, right? But the second you reframe that, it becomes reggaeton or something like that. It's like it's, it's, it's all these these actual individual subdivisions are so codified. Or if I if I leave it like this, and then I randomize the, the hi hat, it becomes trap. You know, it's like it just that just that's all you need is that little accent of what you're right. That sounds like a trap beat, or like a fast trap beat, but it'll be like more like that. Right? Yeah. And this is all because we, we know music to be limited in this way. I mean, I'm not like limited, but like as in, we, we understand music is based on tempo framework, but mostly like these rhythmic subdivisions are all, they're pretty hardwired into us is how we hear a lot of, especially like contemporary music and pop music, you know. Um, and it's so funny to think that with just, like a turn of a, a knob to change one subdivision, we have something else, you know? So, uh, there's our gabber, you know? Or just, you know. Right, so, That's, yeah. It's also a bit my question, how consciously you actually play with that? Yeah, so well, that's, like yeah. The expectation of an audience, the listener. Yeah. Whether, I mean, you have, sort of complete control if, well, let me say you have control if they want to dance or in, right. in, in, in what sense. And that is a great power to wield, isn't it? You know, it's like. Fitting in our right. framework. Yeah. And the other, other way around. Yeah. Uh, how do you play into the expectation of the audience? Like, and that's, that's the whole, yeah, exactly. That's the whole responsibility, isn't it? It's, and it's also. It's definitely an act of choice. I mean, you have that power to reframe someone's expectations, but also to bring them in. You know, so I'm playing in a club. I'm going to bring them in first before I atomize it and make all the randomness happen. You kind of have to show it for what it is. You know, this this is a blank slate. You know, that could be anything. That could be minimalism. It could be a, an acid baseline. It could be anything. You know, until you add that, it, it's almost nothing. You know, this is just a thing that's building into something. You know. Um, I've been in many times at Berghain and I've heard whoever, like one of the residents, play something like that to start a night for like 10 minutes, just some thing, this beatless thing, because you have no idea what's going to happen next. It could be minimal techno, it could be house, it could be anything. It could be, it can go in a number of directions. It could be halftime, it could be anything, you know. Um, and that's, 
you know, I, I revel in showing you the possibilities, but really what happens is by the time you actually have it set up and you, you have everything mapped out, it's how you use it that's really the most important thing. Not so much the, the building blocks here, this particular instrument, et cetera. You know, it's the context of the performance itself. Um, and I find that's, that's the thing I struggle with the most, maybe, because I'm too into the details of what can happen to really think too much about what should happen. You know? And the should happen is the important thing. Um, I think I'm playing towards the end of the evening on, on Saturday, so I probably will wait to see what everybody else does before I choose what to do. And it's not that I want to necessarily always provide a, a polar experience to what has happened. I just, it's sometimes there's a sense of communality that comes from wanting to continue the flow of an evening to wanting to circumvent it and break it apart and do something else. Um, the fact that you have so yeah, much yeah. headroom and yeah. context that in, in your yeah. might be very broad. Yeah. So you could really steer it in any right. direction you want. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't see these experiences as being too far apart of, of coming from thinking about things more spatially and functionally, um, diagrammatically, to thinking about what, what an expectation is in a live performance and how to at least halfway meet something in fulfilling a need and then breaking away from it, you know. So it's 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 too antisocial to show up and just hammer a club audience with, you know, atomized septuplets, you know, to be as as, as what kind of experience is an antisocial one, you know. And the club space is very social. So um, yeah, I do struggle with this. I struggle with the idea of not always wanting to be a wrench in the mechanics as much as I maybe my younger, more dogmatic self would. You know, I would always Im immediately be drawn towards whatever shouldn't happen at this point or what hasn't happened, you know. And I think that, you know, not necessarily got me into a lot of hot water. It just got me into the position where I was back into a corner where that was kind of became all I did. And now, as I reach my dotage, I think about what can happen in f wish fulfillment and, <laughs> and experience fulfillment, you know. And that's, that is such a great weight to have to deal with, but I, I, I'm having a good time with it so far. I'm really thinking more about what experiences are. Not the populist ones necessarily, but the ones that make some sort of sense conceptually. For as much as I love to talk about systems and algorithms and all this stuff, it's almost like the, the function of music is now becoming a real focus. I love peppering functional music with all of these conceptual cues and things are really funny. You know, there'll probably be, when I play on Saturday, this field recording where I was just having a conversation with someone on the street and it was just really funny to me, but I just, I'll use a little bits of it because I just love the way the person's voice, the cadence of their voice sounded. There were all these weird pregnant pauses and it was like an interesting experience to be in. I don't know if that necessarily will transfer to a significant listening experience or not. I have no way of knowing until I, I sense all of the millions of variables at Paradiso on Saturday and what, what will happen there, you know, whether it will make sense to do it there or not, you know. Do you ever pre-listen? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. This, you know, since I've had this mixer now, I, I always listen. Now, now I'm more, I'm less into the idea of just being completely chaotic and having to struggle with building something. And now I'm, I'm pretty happy with having it exist and make sense before I play it, you know. And again, this is just a realization that doesn't have to be, every performance doesn't have to be a demonstration that I can do something. It's more about what, what, sh you know, what should happen, what, what is going to happen. Um, I've paid my dues with this thing. <laughs> so I don't necessarily have to always be in this kind of, um, in this mode of trying every possibility out and having the fail rate be fairly high until I land on something. I can just prepare that thing that works well and go forward from there. That's a smart way of doing things. Um, yeah, and it's a realization that it doesn't always have to be difficult. It can be easy, and there's no guilt in it being easy. There's no, there's no guilt in just playing a, a straight audio file back from the computer and just having that be the experience. Did you, 
So before that, when you did the live patching, for instance, yeah. did you have the feeling that you were in control of the process, or was it always a kind of, let's say, a dialogue or a struggle, or you know, because there's then of course a great degree of unpredictability happening, probably. Always, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's always there's always ways to get lost. There's always ways to find your way out of those ways of getting lost, you know. Um, I, I did for a long time before I started playing these more linear things, I did a, a purely free jazz drummer piece called Occlusions, and it was all about not resting until I got to that point where I had lost control. So I tried it as quickly as possible to start with all the prime number and all the randomness up and, and, and resting when I knew that it was in a place where I couldn't, like I didn't have like, as fine control over it. And I think it was a great experiment. I was really happy with it. I did it for a couple of years. But I, it was the most alienating music to play for people. You know, it's always like, I, I never think of the audience when I was doing this stuff. It was purely just like, I'm going to show up. And it was like a noise set. It was just confrontational in a way. It, people understood what was happening you know, and where I was coming from. But it wasn't like there was a dialogue at all. It was just a one way you know, from, from performer to audience, always. It never could be anything else. That was just the dogmatic aspect of that music. And at the end of it, I just had a really bad feeling about it. You know, it was like I was not, I was kind of just being too, I don't know, what's the word for it? You know, too bullish about it, you know, just too. And I, I loved it. it was, I love confrontational music. I've always been drawn towards it, you know. It's I just something about that. Coming from jazz, which is not a confrontational music, and trying to use this sort of methodology to make something like that felt right, and it was unexplored to me. But I, at the end of it, it was maybe a failed experiment that went on for three years. <laughs> <laughs> Right, it was right. That was right in the thick of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, and yeah, I, yeah. I really liked it that there was a lot of stuff happening. It was very complicated. That was the point. It was. It was getting to. It was when this stuff was. I mean, then not in its infancy, but it was very much in its teenage years. Maybe now it's very mature. All this is very mature. Now there's presets. Now you can save things. So that was like I would only show up with the blank case, and the second you know the you know people stop clapping, I would do the first patch and just start building it in real time. And that was like, you know, it felt slavish. This kind of like adherence to. Show, always showing the process. I don't think people really need to care about the process all that much. I mean, I don't, like, my favorite performances are really not ones that are mired in the, the technology. Some of my favorite music is, is a really inept music. You know, I love things that are just people feeling things out. Maybe I was channeling that energy, but it doesn't always have to be like that. And also to show a complex situation in a complex environment like this and necessarily, like, not necessarily having to show every aspect of it, I think is really good too. And that's only something that I've been doing recently where I'm happy just focusing on a really great element and having that be the focus and not necessarily always having to use every single piece of the toolkit that I've brought with me to realize that. It's like the guitar pedal that show, a guitar player that shows up at the gig with a gigantic you know, guitar pedal array and they have to use every single one because why would you bring it otherwise? You know? Whereas you see someone play and they just plug their guitar into an amp and it's amazing. You know? It's like, that's like, there can be those two experiences. And it's not like one is covering for the other. It's just that they're two different things. They're two different experiences. So anyway, um, rhythms, basically, I mean, there's not really much to that. Um, let's, yeah, please. In, in which way do you use, uh, like, a mute or yeah. muting or silencing yeah. some, or reconciling? Now all the time. Now, now this, is, this is kind of like, if I had everything running at once, that's, I turned the, turn the computer off. But um, now it's really easy to get into here and actually start playing groups of things. This is just a, an artifact of the, the mixer you know, ecosystem that I'm currently using. So we still, there's our 303 is still chiming away down there somewhere. 
Oh, yeah, it's randomness up. Big kick drum, sorry. Oh, I see what's happening now. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a way on here to actually start grouping chains of muting. Sorry, it's really blasting it. Um, where you can actually like play groups of mutes as a performance gesture. Again, this is it's brand new. I've only had this for about a week. There's something very trial by fire about sitting at home and thinking, okay, I'm going to play this kind of set, taking the whole instrument apart, which you can do with this. It's module. You can unscrew everything, take everything apart. All the modules only really share a power connection and a height, but otherwise they're all, you know, different. They don't, they're all a certain depth, so you can fit them in this case. But um, you can really, like I sat at home thinking, I would love to be able to do this thing but was more hands-on, a classic dance music style mixing in this way where you can mute and group and chain things and have common effects and common EQs. And that's, so I put this mixer in a week ago and it does all of those things quite drastically, you know. So I can sit here with a single button press, bring the whole, the whole patch back in, or just selectively mute things individually. Just the first cannon, just the second cannon, just these drums. There's the 303 there. There's the other synthesizer. The other drums. Everything's there. Just the effects. So there's the reverb. And there's obviously the, there's the sends and all these things are aspects of that you can do individually. So. So to get it all running at once, just to show you. Right. So there's the whole patch is still running, but it's only coming in through the effects. So it's almost like you can do this real-time dub mix with this, where you can have all the parts going. And then actually, the one, the one thing I haven't showed you, which is really cool actually, is right at the end, the last thing in the entire chain is this digital delay module, which breaks the whole thing apart. So this is the entire mix is being run through this digital delay that's basically atomizing and scanning the entire thing. Right. So on top of the really simple
that's like that's the dry signal there. And then this is just it going entirely through the delay. So that's, I mean, I basically, I muted everything going into it like 30 seconds ago, and this is just the trails of what's going through the delay. And it's literally the last stage after the, like it's basically a master send, which is here so you can send it to like a compressor or something like that. I have going through this delay. And <coughs> sometimes when I build this thing up to a certain level, I'll be happy with it, and I'll just have it go through this. This is being, the, the, the vision of the, um, the delay itself is using the same time base as the envelope all the, the clock dividers, it's actually made by the same company, and they, it's designed so that you can just kind of set it and have this sort of half and half, right? It's quite nice. Just have a little trails of it, yeah. It's a separate channel. It's actually going through the master, though. So as you can hear things going forwards and backwards and kind of really scattering around. The feedback's quite high, so it takes a long time for it to actually die out. But I mean, it's a very computer music-sounding thing. It's like a buffer, you know, uh, buffer relocation kind of thing. It's recording into a delay buffer, but it's not using it like a traditional delay. It's actually just moving the different elements of it around in a circle. So, so usually when I play, it's kind of like I'm showing you this very linear, like melody kind of thing. But it it so quickly goes from that kind of just the linearity of this to wanting to take it apart. And I'm thinking now, more recently, that it's kind of like I can just linger on this for longer because this is quite nice and not necessarily have to worry so much so quickly about having it be the atomization of it, have it be the, the deconstructed version. It's fine. This, this by itself is fine. This is good. This is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'm just I'm so afraid of the, the sort of basic, unapologetic, melodic beauty of it that I kind of, you know, you know what am I communicating by just playing that? It's hard to say, you know. I love it, and I'm drawn towards it, like a moth to flame. I mean, it's so interesting, just having this, this complex, modulating thing that's not quite resting ever, you know? I could listen to that for hours, and I do, but it's, um, yeah. Did they use, uh, like, modulations that you, uh, uh, modulation that you influence the, your, your rhythm and your melody at the same time? Of course, yeah. Well, they're, now they're discrete, but I can use common ones, if that's what you're asking, yeah. They can be the same, yeah. yeah. Um, because I, I, I took, I stripped the, the system from all of those source of uncertainty, woggle bug type circuits, that I'm just so much happier with straight white noise, sample and hold, complete randomness, you know, which, again, you can attenuate and invert and do all these things to shape it into exactly the ranges that you want. Ranges are so crucial. I mean, it's like, it's the one thing that I wish I knew when I was starting doing all this stuff 20 years ago was that it wasn't just about slamming every input with a maximum range of everything and having it explode all the time. That's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, and that it's non-repeatable and 
beautiful. Complete chaos is beautiful, but reining it in is just so much more important, you know? The first module I always tell people to buy after an oscillator is an attenuator, you know? Put that attenuator next to your, next to your oscillator, next to your filter. That's the first thing you should use. Only a little bit, just a little bit of wave shaping, a little bit of pulse width, a little bit of filtering, you know? Not the whole range, not the whole filter opening and closing by itself, you know? It's, it's so much more valid when you can just work finely with these tools because they are fine tools and there's fine ranges in there to be found, you know? Um, and Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like it's such a, a hidden secret because nothing, very few things actually come with attenuation built into the system. You know, some things like some oscillators will have a CV, you know, FM taper. Like a lot of these oscillators have FM attenuators or pitch attenuators. You know, for FMing and doing that kind of thing. Um, now, because there's this race to make everything as small as possible, that's the first thing they leave out. You know. Now it's about how many things you can fit in here, how much you can squash in here. Um, yeah, I, I use the like, switches also. So you switches are really crucial as well, yeah. You can like, yeah. Uh, pull in and then yeah. Bump, you pull it off and then you, know, yeah. you have a kind of sweep. Exactly. With doing it uh, live. Yeah, the mo the, the, one of the first and most used modules I ever had was that dope first switch that's just eight switches in a rack. Because it was like you could send eight things and not necessarily have to always be using them and that you could show the change, you know. You want to FM this, boink, you turn it on, it goes through, you hear the FMing, boink, you turn it off. I wish I had room for that now to have those switches. Actually, honestly, I could really use it. When I do the FM on this thing, I actually have to physically go and I have to patch the oscillator in to do it, you know. It's the only way I can do it. It's crazy. Here, I'll show you. It's like, so the, the way that I switch it is actually by physically patching it, you know. So if I want to put it in there, I have to patch it like this. So it's actually it's there. I already have a cable doing it. So, and then it's but I have to physically. If I don't want to use it, I have to physically unpatch it. You know. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. So why would you like? What would be the thing that would make you decide to? this kind of change in the performance like how do you well it, there's a there's a level well, i mean obviously it's in, it's uh, intentional but there's it gets to a point where this is happening and i'm happy with it just by itself you know but then there has to be a change you know yeah. i could set it up and just have it go by itself for, for hours and that's fine but in the constraints of a performance for every each of these two sections are 20 to 25 minutes long yeah. you know i have it built up it's it's showing you the slow change introducing the subrhythms, doing the effects layers and all that and then there's a point where at the end where i i, I not want to something i want to sabotage it <coughs> I just wanted to change drastically by using the same, the same framework, you know. And that's where things like FMing and turning the clock off and letting the, the clock dividers uh, desynchronize on their own and all these little things, you know. That's, that's, really, that's my favorite part of the performance, when it gets completely, it breaks from the form and it becomes about allowing the things that are designed to be purely random just be random and not necessarily have to worry about the clock. That's why I use these particular, this whole 4MS ecosystem of time-based modules because when I stop the clock, they will keep going, you know? Like, like, when I stop this, it will keep going, you know? Right now, it's just doing some random... I don't want this to blow up again, but... Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's all... I have everything patched really weird right now. So... Oh, here, sorry. You keep changing tempo also. You can keep changing tempo, yeah. I can keep going in here. I can actually clock this one externally, which I'm not doing right now. So the whole master clock, you can also clock. So think of it that way. Like, you can always... I could send a sample and hold value out of this back into itself and create a sort of a timing feedback loop, which is a nice technique, actually. I did that a lot when I was... For clocking. Yeah, you can, you can decentralize the master clock by itself. 
because it's yeah. generating a random value every clock, so I can patch it back into itself, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So you can do feedback in the control voltage realm as well. That's another, that's a, a when I was doing the occlusionist things, that was a huge central tenet of it was um, making these patches with control information that was like canceling itself out, you know. And occasionally it would kind of break free and put something out, but then it would just put out DC offset or high or low or, clocking, yeah. Uh, has an input or Not all of it, but this one does. This particular one does. It has a, just a CV clock input here. So or can you do it with like kind of CV mixing or? Yeah, yeah, you can do it by subtly influencing it or attenuating, inverting all these tools to, to, to have the clock actually influence itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you're modeling the yeah. clock signal to yep. send it out. Again. Exactly, right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Or just playing with the strength of it. You know, like that's what also what's interesting is that all of the modules in here that take clock or trigger, um, they all have different thresholds. So if you send one clock to a lot of different modules and really finely attenuate it, you'll see that some things come to life before other things do. Like the threshold of some of it, it's one volt that goes right above one volt, it's, a, it's considered a trigger. Some it's like two volts, two and a half volts. Some take the full five to f fully trigger. So if you have the whole master clock on an attenuator and you just slowly bring it up and it's going to a million different places, you know, multiplied, it actually, some things will come to life, you know. And then other modules won't take a trigger that's over like eight volts, you know. Yeah, so so they'll, they'll stop working. So you actually, as you just literally just turn one knob and bring it all the way up, yeah, yeah, things yeah. come to life and they start clocking and moving around and then they stop at some oh, point. Yeah. So, Could yeah. you show us that now? Sure, sort of, yeah, I'll try it, but it's, let's see. So we would take, well, you know, it's tricky because I have, I'm using so many outputs. Right. I'm just using copies from here. But I'll show you the thing of it influencing itself, though, definitely. Cool. So, um, so we'll take... We'll take one of these, just one of the four random four voltages that are going into it. We'll just literally put it back into itself. And what it did was it started and it stopped. Right? And it's an absolute bottom value. And it's back to the top again because it's a run stop. Here we go. Yeah, it's a bit tricky. I have to, I have to kind of tell it, because it's basically that the clock is a, like a computer. I have to tell it to listen for the first clock input and what it's going to do here. I'll just do that really quickly. So we want, we want to do at the top, so we'll hold that. There we go. PPQ, run, yes, save, yes, load, save, run, PPQ, and there we go. Reset. <coughs> run Y. Okay, so back to the top. And we'll go to the page with the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then we'll grab that seventh one. Wave, level, offset, width, phase, delay, skip. So you can do all these um, conditional triggers and things like that in this module as well, where you can tell it like to skip certain triggers. Actually, I don't know it well enough to do the thing that I'm trying to get it to do, so I'm just going to stop and say I can't do that right now. <laughs> but you can, though. It's, it's well within the means of it. It's a bit of menu diving yeah. to do deeper functions in it. But the one that I yeah. would be doing is telling it to adjust the range of the 0 to 5 volt CV that it's creating randomly to map that to 10 BPM to 300 BPM. You know? okay. That's like basically so it would just, with every clock, it would choose a random BPM from within that range, which you can do, but it'll take me five minutes of menu diving to do it. Don't so. worry about it. We can but but totally... 
conceptually and you know actually possible. Yeah. Um, and you can do it more simply with just I mean any LFO that's uh, that has a square wave output is generating triggers. So just yeah. if I want, I could molt one of the LFOs here to all of those different places instead of just unpatch the whole thing and put it back. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I use uh, yeah. an LFO to make a kick out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and then I. And then I pull yeah. it up so to have some speed core mm -hmm. kind of situation, and then then I use the attenuator to kind of uh, melt, right? Melt yeah. the party. Melt the party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any in the in the language of, of synthesizers, any rising edge from below, say one volt to above one volt, is a trigger. You know, so you can just use a square wave oscillator LFO as a clock source, which I did for years. That was the main when I started with all the dope for stuff. That's all I used. My only clock was a square wave LFO. Now this is dedicated one because it's so pop, it's so powerful, and you have all these different outputs. I tend to use that because it's a good, it's a good single place to start and stop the whole sequences like regularity. So now that it's off, it's still everything is still running, but it's these two have gone out. They're out, they're out of phase now. The drums are out of phase if they're working. So when you're making decisions while performing, you do yeah. this intuitively. I do. Yep. Only intuitively. I mean, there's some, there's some sense of, um, yeah, no, of course there's plan, there's planning in it, and it's that there's this, this configuration, there's the materials that have been prepared, there's this patch that's come with me from the U.S. This particular patch to play, these two pieces, these ideas that have surrounded these two pieces for the last decade. You know, there's all this baggage. It's. Um, can, can I or should I keep going with exactly what I've been doing, or should I stop and just question aspects of it that I take for granted? And those will be the things that change the next night, you know? So it's definitely it's a more conceptual approach to it, definitely benefits the music. Because even if it's someone that hasn't heard any of this stuff before, the things that I'm tired of or that I want to change will, will, will be different that night, you know? And it'll create a new, fresh experience for everybody. But also, it. Um, it, it stops the music from being fully stagnant. And, you know, I, I mean, I do love the idea of making something fixed and trying to repeat it every night as a piece of music, you know, this, this form, A, B, C, D, doing it exactly this way, seeing if, that, if that's even possible to have it be exactly the same. But I feel like that's more academic than something that I'd ever want to actually explore yeah, yeah, because yeah. You, embrace, you embrace chance and you embrace risk with this stuff. So that creates a bit more of a friendly, fun environment. So you wouldn't do like drastic changes every time? You I like drastic that. changes, though. I feel, I feel like, the, like, like a drastic change from, in form is really great. That's a beautiful tool. To go from yeah. fully centralized uh, subdivided rhythm to free time is a great example of that. The, the timbral vocabulary is still there, just that the way that it's assembled becomes so different. And is that, is that what makes the music alienating? Is that I take this and I, you know, like if that hearing it, that motor rhythm versus this, you know, does it seem less significant that versus what we were just listening to? You know, even though it's like computationally very similar, you know, it's just that these, these little things are changing here. Right? Yeah, exactly. They're both the same. You, you see what I mean, though? It's like, it's like the, I didn't change anything functionally at all. I just changed a range. You know, the one individual thing. I changed an octave. I changed how much randomness went into that clock. And that's, that's the only change. Everything else stays exactly the same. But it changes how you hear it as music. You know, this now sounds like more of an aesthetic thing than a driving thing. You know, it stops from being a rhythmic example. It goes to a 
ambient, you know, what do you want to call this, experimental music. Whereas this, you know, is this experimental? It's, this is, you know, this now sounds like a lullaby or something, you know, because the tempo just shifted, you know. The tonality hasn't changed, the wave shapes haven't changed. It's just at the speed, you know, with these two things changing like that, you know. Yeah, even, the, even just this, you know. Yeah. Kind of because you said you also played clarinet. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you have like the experience from from playing clarinet in playing modular? Are there like I, I do think about uh, yeah or? yeah I think about timbre more. I think coming from embouchure and dealing with you know the physical instrument in this way you know and the physical like breathing like playing the physical breath cycle of playing music and the uh -huh. the innate sense of timing you get from growing up playing a wind instrument I think is really colors you know. How you play? How do you make music? You know. So I think about that a lot. I think about you know you, you play a note and there's got to be this this moment of reaction and breathing to step back and kind of hear it, yeah. take a breath and you start over again. You know. But I mean, I also I played guitar when I was a kid, which is less of a breath kind of bass centric thing. And I also played drums when I was a kid, so it's kind of like. More okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Drums is a physicality thing, so you you play until you're tired, and then it's like you have to stop. With this, it's infinite. Like the energy that it creates is infinite. You know, that's the beauty of electronic music. It's not humanistic in that way where it relies on an energy reserve which gets depleted and then the music stops and then somebody else plays music. It's like this can go, this can carry on this patch until the power cord is unplugged, you know. Yeah. If I leave it plugged in and the power is constant, it can go for years, you know. This, there'll just be subtle changes within the instrument. If I turn that clock off and I listen to how those two, the envelope, the clock followers react, they'll slowly decentralize and then they'll completely go out of time. And then, you know, the two oscillators will go out of tune and those things will happen, but they, you know, there's, I'm always going to be here as like the orchestrator or the puppet master kind of slowly reining it back in and saying, oh, that oscillator went a little bit sour. You know, I'll just go and I'll tune that one back in. Yeah, um, yeah it's interesting. Yeah, please. How do you come up with ideas? Do you try and then see what comes out of it? Not so much these days. No, it's pretty intent, you know. Yeah. I think now it's more intent than, than exploration. I think there's a lot of beauty in feeling your way around any <laughs> instrumental ecosystem, not just synthesizers, but anything. I mean, even playing piano, it's like you, to compose music, all you're doing is either working on snatches of memory or pre-existing music, or when, when you're composing, you're doing, you're, you're noticing patterns and you're you know, putting your own personal stamp on them, that becomes your music, right? So um, there's, there's a, a Ideally, a mix of past and present and future when you're making music. So you're always thinking, what can be made? I have learned this. I, you know, what's that? Do you notate it? I have done, uh, diagrammatically, I've done a lot of documentation this way, yeah. Now I just photograph things. Um, but in the past, I mean, I, I didn't really get into this, but right now it's um, visually, there's just three colors. I used to use an entire rainbow for the patch, and it was every red, orange, yellow, green, blue was each individual patch. Now I just do black cables for audio, green cables for triggers and envelopes, and blue cables for CV, like wide-ranging CV. And that, I think, visually is all I really need to keep on top of it. Can you make a dope sheet? To I, do make a do I did make a dope sheet until I started traveling with it patched. When I, didn't, when I had to fly with it completely closed with no cables in it, which is only until six months ago, um, I made a dope sheet, definitely. I said, I said this was the combination that I liked the best. This is, um, uh, do you know Jessica Ryland? Have you ever met her? She's like she was in Boston for years, and she lives in San Francisco now. But she built these beautiful instruments. Um, 
the Little Boy Blue synthesizer, Flower Electronics, that was her company. And she had this great little chat book. Every time she came across a great patch, she would sit there and she would just draw. It was either like a flow chart or she would draw like a graphic depiction of the instrument with the cables. And it was this whole like chat book full of patch examples. And I thought, oh, that's so beautiful. What a great way to do it. You know, you can just visually assess the connections. But also she would make little notes like this into that, but not all the way, you know, or turn it until it makes that, that bird noise and then stop, you know, and that so would be her cue. Exactly. So she could, or someone else could play it, you know, more importantly. So it actually becomes like communicable music in that way. It's not just purely personalized. Um, about five, six years ago, I did a day long one of these kind of seminars, but for kids in, in, in Madrid. And it was really great because I did this, I had the synthesizer and I said, okay, so they were, you know, 10 to 12 years old and said, so uh, oscillator into filter into the mixer and then put uh, something that generates pitch into the front. And they were like, okay, well, this one said, yeah, it's like this. But the, the mistakes they made were so much more interesting than the, the intent, you know? It was actually a really nice experiment to see if I could just communicate it visually what was going to happen, like in a building block sense. And it worked beautifully. They made some really amazing stuff where they just, you know, it was a lot of like outputs to outputs, inputs to inputs, but you get sounds those ways, you know? Even like doing things that are actually functionally wrong, you'll, you won't break anything, but also you'll, you'll get results. Like I found that patching filters back into themselves makes really great sounds. You can make whole drum voices with just feeding back, uh, you know, sending a trigger into a filter and feeding it back in itself. Um, and those are functions, not defects. You know, they're actually, I mean, they're, that's the nature of this stuff, is to be able to do things like that. You could, in, in a system, like if I plugged a max patch back into itself, my computer would crash, probably, you know, or something like that. But in this, it's almost exploring those impossible scenarios actually yields really interesting material sometimes, and it's um, one of the reasons that I'm drawn towards this stuff. Yeah, feeding this reverb back into itself. Normally, that would blow up a, a software reverb, but with this thing, it just makes a constant tone, and then you can reverberate the tone and play with the EQ of it. It's really nice. So there are always those possibilities. Yeah, of course. So you travel a lot, right? Yep. Do you ever get trouble if you bring a suitcase with cables to yes. security? Yes. Yeah, I would say one in every three times. Plus, I have this yeah. questionable <laughs> beard, which makes my you know, motivations often unclear to TSA personnel, who are often humorless. <laughs> get better, like, in the last Starts making noise. No. It has not gotten better. It has gotten much worse, actually, because they see it more. When they didn't see it, they didn't know what to think, so they just would think the best. Now when they see it all the time, they think the worst. Yeah. And that's not me being pessimistic, that's just like the actual real world. And plus, you know, the, the world has changed in the last few years as far as trust is concerned. You know, there was, even five years ago, a palpable amount of trust in the world when you traveled. Now it's, there's no trust, there's, you know, people will, are, are trained to assume the worst because the worst is often happening. So, yeah, that's a kind of a dark note, but it's, it's true in a way where I, okay, the two stories, they're funny stories. One. I went to Detroit um, 10 years ago, and I brought this with me to, to do like a workshop. And I got to, the, got to the airport, and for whatever reason, I didn't have an idea, like my, my license had expired, you know. So I got there, and they were like, oh, you know, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, I'm giving a lecture at this place. They're like, oh, do you have any ideas? Like, I'm sorry, my license expired. So they took me into the white room to give me the, the full interview and look at everything. I used to have to travel with just uh, a couple of patch cables, but also the power and a speaker to show often, like every other time, I would have to open it up, plug it in, and say, this makes sound. They were, because there's so much space between the faceplate and the, um, and the back, they were always worried that I was smuggling things. There's quite a lot of space in the back, so they thought I had drugs or whatever in there. Um, 
So I got to this white room in Detroit, and I was in there for like two hours. And it was like every 20 minutes, a different person would come and ask me the same questions. You know, what do you do? What's your artist name? Uh, what's the festival called? Are you getting paid? Blah blah blah. All this stuff. And, yeah, yeah, fine. So I gave the same answers. And then finally, the door just opened, and this guy was like, "You can go." I said, "Oh, what happened?" I was like, "Oh, that guy." And I was like, "Who was that guy?" And I walked over to that guy. And I was like, "Hey, that guy. Thank did you clear it up?" He's like, "Oh yeah, you got a modular synthesizer. Yeah, I got one of those at home. It's got like you know the." Um, you know, the cables were doing the audio and the modulation. I was like, oh, cool, man. Who are you? He was like, I'm Derek May's cousin. And I was like, Derek May, of course. He's like, yeah, my cousin Derek. He's got all this stuff in his house. So I was like, cool. You are the one in the million who got me out of this situation, who knew what any of this stuff was, you know, because you're, you know, his cousin's a famous techno producer. Um, and then, like, last year, I was in Russia, which, you know, and I was coming out of there, and they just, like, they gave me the white room treatment, and it was, like, three hours, you know, of just asking every possible question. No trust. And I didn't have the power cords, and I didn't have the speaker, so I couldn't plug it in, and it was like, yeah, it was a real nightmare. But yeah, you see that video or that uh, photo a lot of the, the modular synth musician traveling through the customs somewhere in the world, and there's that photo of the guys with the white gloves, you know, doing the bomb gunpowder test, you know, and I get that pretty much every time now. So, so it's um, it's annoying, but uh, this is designed this case to fly, and I always remind them of that. I said it's actually the, exactly the dimensions within a half an inch on each side to be able to fit into an overhead on like a 320 and up, you know, so an Airbus 320, any of those, DC-10. Anything below that, you can't bring it on the overhead, so, so they... Can you tell me like how the overhead luggage compartments are full, you gotta put it in there? Yeah, well, it takes a bit of savvy, definitely, to, to get it happening. Coming here, I, I flew on Norwegian, and they have a very draconian um, check-in policy for, for equipment. I think you get 10 kilos total, so I brought that bag with the computer and all the pedals, and then there's just this patch, but without the power. And I was smart, and I borrowed one of these from my friend, which is approved, approved hand luggage. And I just, at home, I put it on there, and then I got the sticker for that one. Nobody said anything. If I didn't have that, they probably wouldn't have let me on the plan, so. Note to self, deal on the black market of approved hand luggage, yeah. <laughs> which is out there. It's a network you can tap into, you know. Is this a custom case? <coughs> Uh, this one is uh, Enclave. I don't, I don't think they make them anymore, but it's, um, it's yeah, just the, the wood is cracked here. All the feet are missing. You know, it's seen some, some battle scars. There's so many companies that make those cases now. Um, the best one is this an Australian guy called, uh, crap, I can't remember the name of his company, but he makes these cases that are like this, but they're made of ABS instead of wood, and they're really light, you know. So if this weighs 13 kilos, his will weigh like eight, something like that. So they're actually getting... The, the, there's enough of a marketplace for these instruments now that there's enough people making them and there's a lot of options, so. Yeah, what is that guy's name? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, but this one's quite heavy, but I bought it because it's robust and it's so far I survived. It's done a really good job. It's maybe seven or eight years old. Uh, maybe a question, because I think you mentioned having a step sequencer, or was that not fit? No, no sequencers in this one, so. That was the idea with that patch, was to avoid stored values, you know? So there's nothing in here that, this, or oh, the step sequencer, yeah, actually, no, you're right, you're right. In, in this one that I just got, this quantizer that I use for the trans, transposition, it does have a sequencer in there. So there's a way you can program it to do those SH-101 type sequences where you just, you know, you, you do a note, a skip, you know, like that. You have to do it manually step by step. But within that? Within this little thing. So you have to hold this, you know, program learn mode and you go dun, 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 you know. Okay. There's, there's a great video of it playing uh, Xylem Tube or something by Affix Twin, that melody where it's, they've programmed it in, you know. So it's definitely possible. But that's, I mean, I bought that because 
the last quantizer I had, or the scale selector for the transposition was only one channel, and this is two, so now I can do them independently of each other. <coughs> I can have a sequence transposing each of the three voice canons independently of each other, which is pretty cool, so you can do things like they're in, ta- in tune, and then one goes up like a half step, so you get that weird dissonance, or up a perfect fourth or perfect fifth. And then you can actually transpose them enharmonically so that they stay within the master scale that these two are doing here. So there's a lot of opportunities for keeping them in tune, but then having those cool static parallel fourth, parallel fifth things, like I'm doing with those last two voices, where you get those neat kind of harmonies that way. I like those kind of patterns that come out of that. Um, Is wood, wood like a traditional step sequencer? Would, it would be too limiting, maybe? Or? Yeah, it would just be one channel. You know, it would be one note. So because I'm using... bit of drift. So these values. Here, actually, we'll do a we'll do a full scale so you can hear it. Here you go. So I have that one mode. It's custom. So here you go. So here it's like a like a power chord. So that's all within the scale, and then. So that's that, that the fifth is should be a flat fifth here, right? So so that's just I've changed the we had that root fifth octave um, pentatonic thing in there, but there's all these other scales, you know. I'm using the scales that are built into the quantizer module here. I'll go back to the original speed. Okay, so right around there. So this is like a... It's a bit more movement there because I've, I've taken this more... Actually, it's all the white keys of the keyboard. So this is like a Dorian scale. That, like having the fifth in there, if, if you don't have that, that static fifth here. Here. I hope nobody has perfect pitch. It'll drive you crazy. Here, so listen to this. It's still nice. I mean, you get these nice patterns in there. It takes that long. It takes a couple cycles for it to change. That one note goes flat. Here, I'll speed it up a little bit. And this is again all I'm doing is changing the the rising sawtooth that's generating those the, the melody the notes within the quantizer. It's got some really nice, very pretty patterns in there. I'm trying to put the reverb on, so it just accentuates it. What's already there? Mm-hmm. 
bit strange. Ah, mutes. That's of course because I have mutes on. So, so I'm still learning my own system. Okay, so we'll turn that off for everything else. with all the gating and stuff turned off. The clicking is just because it's the, the envelope is so fast to open. It's quite nice. I mean, it's just... It sounds like a you know, a Nina Rota film score or something. It's a very similar kind of... If I just give it a little bit of a nudge. So it's like, it's sampling it, it's like, like maybe three times going up the first time, and then it stops, and then two up the next one. So, like, so it's like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, because it's folding over itself, not quite, not quite as much. Um, it's five, it's groups of five. I'm just giving it a really narrow range too, so it's here, if I opened up a lot. So that, again, this is just the attenuation I was talking about earlier. So we had a really narrow, it's just doing within like a minor third, and then the more we open it up, the range of the melody gets wider and wider until it's like a full octave basically. Alright, so there's more, you can hear that slowly the, the sawtooth is rephasing itself every other. Blast you with these high sine waves, but you see how it's the one oscillator is topping out. Keeps that's the top frequency that you can put out of that thing. Well, that's the top frequency the quantizer could put out to that oscillator. There's actually also a really slow mode, so that you can hear the whole thing going up. This is just an LFO, uh, sawtooth. So this is below what the quantizer can put out. It's putting a low voltage and then it just goes through the entire scale, gets to the top, and then goes down to the bottom again. But if I speed that up just slightly, right? So it's really, really slowly. 
So that's the whole thing. This is very slow, and then right there is where it starts there. That one's good because it's swinging like like parallel fourths going up in a pair like that. So every other one. So one voice is just like this. Is that grouping out? Is everything really up in one group? Yeah, well those three are. But here it's like it's going a parallel fourth every other one up in a circle like that. And there's two every every other one, so we'll do we'll do with every second one. So it's almost synchronized, they're almost, you know, because we're doing every other one. Cool, yeah. This is such a simple technique, but there's a lot there's a lot of life in there. And then here. Do you don't use any VCA for for this? It, it, yeah there is, yeah. So that's that's it with oh, yeah, no, that's yeah. with no VCA. Oh, yeah. Right? And then this is what's great about this is that she can chain everything down the line. So there's a dry with no enveloping, and there's it with the this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so I saw you, you put the yeah, yeah, enveloping in, in, the, in the VCA, yeah. That's right. It's, this is going to channels one and two, and this is going yeah. to three and four. This is a great VCA, actually. I really like it. Yeah, and then you've got all these shapes here, so you can do different, like, more transient ones. So, and so you also play, play while you perform, you also play with the VCA? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I can do here. That's, so that's the sine waves. There's all the sub-octaves, same oscillators. Yeah, yeah. There's actually this, I'll turn it down a little bit. There's a great distortion in this as well that really sounds gnarly. Um, is it a drive or a... It's a boost, yeah, but you can really, it's really gnarly, so. It's just gives it like 6 dB, and then this is like an exponential. But if you do it on this, the sine waves, it sounds really oh, good. Yeah, you get the distortion. Yeah, it's like a logarithmic to, yeah. So just to get that kind of sound. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, that's such a big difference. Yeah. Wow. It's going from exponential to logarithmic. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So. Yeah, big. Uh, yeah. Change. Big change. Yeah, yeah. Just timbrely. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. That's because it's also going so fast, right? Because. What's that? Because the, the, the envelope is so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you get also the, this kind of distortion. in, in Right, because it's, it's right? trying to impossibly go from off to on, right? Because possibly it's fast, a, so. Uh, an analog. Yeah, an analog yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. one of those um, VetCorp VCA chips. So it's like a good, high quality, very fast chip. Um, and you can, you can pervert the gain structure to do things like that, to have you know, basically high rate AM modulation to do things like that. Because basically, it's more modulation than distortion. But I think it's a matter of slightly overloading the buffer at the beginning of the chip to make that kind of sound. But it's doing it by modulating it very quick, quickly instead of just throwing extra voltage at it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. it's more subtle. Right? More subtle, that's right. So, yeah. Okay, so, all right, that's probably a good time to stop. But we can talk about, um, if anybody has any other questions about working methods and things, I'm glad to talk things through. So. I just had a mm -hmm. question regarding signal flow. If you would have the, the uh, you just demonstrated, like mm -hmm. separating the wet signal. Oh, yeah, sure. So how would you then maybe 
put that into another path. It's it's easy. Yeah, system. yeah. So here, let's. That's just the wet coming out of this herb burp here. It's just going into it's like it's like anything else. We can just you know patch that back into the delay. I actually have this neat thing going on right now where I can send this reverb to the pedals and I can send the pedals back to the reverb to create like this kind of cross um, feedback loop. You have to be really careful about how you do it. So it's like that, like that. So this Ears. So there's the dry. Okay, so then we send this to that. There. So that's the reverb going into this. Just as a delay, you know. With a, and then there's the reverb going back into the other reverb. And then we'll send this back to that. Try to get it right on the edge of feedback here. This is good. These are really nice. Sweet spot right in the middle. There, you hear it kind of slowly accruing. It's almost like infinite feedback because you're just doing it in the mixer, right? And then you can just totally filter it out there if you want. So, so you create this kind of perpetual reverb, basically. You play with the range here. So it's taking this really nice high-end studio reverb and bringing it back to mono, putting it through this, and then this back into stereo through all this. So it's, it's like taking a stereo signal and repeatedly folding it back to mono again. So you kind of get this multi-width image at the end, you know. It's just, just starting the feedback. This is decay. You can hear Yeah, this is the size of the album. This guy's kind of floating a little bit, and it's slowly getting louder. Yeah. This is kind of like a filter base in there. If you open this up all the way, it'll feed back right away. So, yeah, that's a nice technique. But yeah, I mean, once you get it, once you get a signal in the synth, um, you can turn it into anything else. You can start triggering. I could, if I still had the comparator thing, I'd show you how you could just basically plug a microphone and tap it, and it'll turn it into triggers here. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, this is there's enough gain in this particular mixer. You can run anything through here. You can run a, a drum machine from outside the synth or anything, and get gates and signals. And you can then use a trigger coming out of like an 808 or something to, to use this clock divider to generate things without necessarily sequencing it, without using MIDI, without using this kind of clocking engine. So you can just use the audio mm-hmm. of like, you know, let's say you have an 808 with just like the rim shot or whatever. You can take the rim shot, put it in there, and it's enough voltage for it to trigger, you know, the clock divider stuff in here to trigger other drums. Right. And it happens because it's not like it's happening at MIDI. MIDI is a really slow signal. It's like 300 baud or something like that. But this is like pretty instantaneous. As soon as the audio hits this, gets a trigger in about five milliseconds, converts it into a, you know, an actual trigger in the synth, and then triggers something else pretty much instantaneously. So there's no perceivable lag, because it's all happening at audio rate. You know? It's kind of nice. And then how does it yeah. feed into the mixer? So you would, the, which you, the, um, it would be possible to the, yeah. the, the, the wet signal feeding separately. You, if you want to take the, the yeah, yeah, exactly. Going to this, I can just take these two that I have patched into channels three and four, or eight, eight in stereo, and just patch it into the other two of the spatial lots. So I don't have a long enough cable to do it now, I don't think. But oh, maybe, maybe. So it would be like right. this, you yeah. know. So it's there. So. That's not the greatest. Right, so there's just the reverb. Just this. Also... 
Right. Well, and the other, the other, the other yeah. two here. So, yeah. Possible to tune the note of the feedback of the herb verb to be a pitch. To be a pitch. I don't think it has a volt per octave info. I actually I asked this question the last time I saw Tony. Um, it doesn't have a pitched input. The um, the echo that he made does, so you can do the echo perfectly at, at pitched intervals. Mm -hmm. I wanted the same from this this echo as well. It also won't do pitch for a volts per octave. The chrono blob does the delay. There's a delay in this called chrono blob, and it does volt per octave perfectly tuned, so you can do carpal strong type synthesis with a delay line, and it's perfectly in tune. This one won't, I don't think it's, it's designed for that. It makes a nice oscillator when it's kind of just going by itself like that, you know? When it's feeding back just slightly, it's a really nice sound, you know? Actually, in really short times with the, with the pre-delay, it's great, all this stuff. Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to tune that. Okay. No, that's that stuff. I have that and a, yeah. and a MIDI to CV converter, and right. I thought maybe it could be possible to automate a patch within Max to analyze constantly the pitch and look for. To analyze it, yeah. So within the expert sleepers ecosystem, there's their Silent Way software package, which does uh, oscillator calibration. That would be the right way to do it. So you send a signal to the uh, uh, Silent Way software, and it actually will calibrate your pitch values to the pitch values, say, that this needs. And it has a frequency counter built into it in the software. So if FH2 does it as well, which is the newer, which is the, the control surface okay. you know, kind of interface. So you can actually... You can train your software to speak cleanly to your oscillators. It'll even do like calibration over multiple octaves, and if things shift like that, it's a really good way to do it. Um, before I was sending like audio into the system using this stuff, I, I was doing pitch information to control these oscillators from the computer, and that's the only thing that I used that really worked was the, the Silent Way stuff, which is like a VST plugin that takes MIDI input and then transfers it to CV for like a, if you have to have an audio interface or something like this to get the signals in there, but once you set it up, it's beautiful. It works over like 16 octaves, it stays in tune. Um, uh, Mark of the Unicorn, Volta, this is a very similar thing as well, and it's a standalone, but because the Silent Way is the same company that makes these interfaces, it's totally designed to work for it, so I would start with that. And that you can control anything, even things that aren't really designed to be in tune over several octaves, you can calibrate it using that, you know. Yeah, like I did it, um, those like new 808s that Roland made, you could actually really cleanly send signals from the computer to tune like the kick drums. And it was kind of like a, just when you tried to do it by itself, it was like the tuning was all over the place. But when you use the software, it worked beautifully. So, yeah, that's one way to do it. How do you load the sounds? Uh, the audio, the acoustic sounds? Yeah, all the sounds. You have a huge bank. Of yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just, I, I record them with these recorders and then put them in the, just one folder in Max. Just, just like, you know, the patch that I wrote looks at that folder I'll show you and it just uh, every I time you yeah 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 in a, in a hard um, in the hardware like 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 preparing these sounds to, so oh yeah um, yeah yeah I mean there's definitely some experimentation but as far as uh, uh, how like how to do the signal chain you mean like how to make well, the, the you, patch let's say yeah. you have a kick number oh I see five, yeah 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 but you yeah. want 55 so how do yeah, yeah. you load the 55 um, you just with knob, knobs in here so that's just Okay, so like this stuff you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, so, so it's just, each, it's just there, yeah. Point is a, is a yeah, so there's, there's like a selector for, here, I'll show you. There's a selector for each. Okay. 
thing. You can just go. This is just you can fill this particular one up with sounds that way. So there's just there's a binary so kind of readout. Yeah, they're just they're all whatever generic sounds. Yeah, twelve bit. And what was the name of the, the microphone? Oh, uh, LOM, L-O-M, and it's called USI. U-S-I. Yeah, I highly recommend these. Um, these here. And the, the, the little device for it. The device I use. Well, there's the Sony. Yeah, this is the newest newest Sony. It's the this is the A10. That's a really good one. This is the older one. But, um, yeah, and the audio. I use this now. I use the Sony for almost everything. It's really good mic pre-use, I think. And that with these mics, it sounds great. The, the, quali- the sound quality is very, very good. They look like this. They're all over the place now. But if you were recording on, s- on spot something, mm-hmm. because that's what I was doing also. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, you can record your sounds or you can just do stuff on the stage. Mm-hmm. So would you use also those microphones? I would, something? yeah. I would use them for gathering quieter sounds. Um, if you want, they're not the best at isolating. So if there's like a lot of things happening in the space and you want just like the isolating, yeah. the thing you're recording, I would still use something like a shotgun microphone for that. But um, these are great for if you have a quiet space and you just want to record delicate sounds. They're great. They're are they only they're electric condensers. So I don't know what the pattern is. Maybe it's still hyper, right? Because it would be rear rejects. I'm honestly, I haven't done enough things in like fields to tr- isolating sounds. I just tend because they're just so small. You can just put it like right on top of something, and it's you get a pretty clear, you know, like all those percussion sounds were recorded with this, and it was in a big room full of people playing drums that I could still get, you know, isolated, pretty closely isolated. I think it's rear reject, yeah. I think I think that's the basic one. But yeah, that's everything. And you do video as well for your um, purposes. Well, for the thing on Saturday, I'm working with this Pierce, who does really great. Video using uh, Max and Jitter and Vsynth and all that stuff. I use that for mostly for collecting sounds because you can record underwater with it. That's the best thing is that it's it actually is. Yeah, it's a really decent recording. You can do like a half an hour of it records 2448 audio striped to video. Yeah, I was using it to record underwater sounds basically. That was you know. Is it it better than a hydrophone? I think it's cheaper than a hydrophone. Yeah. (laughs) There now they're like it's been out a few years so they're quite cheap but yeah. yeah, I do love the hydrophone kind of recordings, but that's that's a very cheap way. Plus, you can go snorkeling and bring it with you and film underwater. It's very nice. So, I have too many videos of going through coral reefs and you know looking at fish and stuff in there. But what was the cheap way? The what record underwater? Yeah, this. It somehow it has a it has a microphone behind the plate, or it's in in there. But it, when you go underwater, it switches to a different circuit. It's like a it's probably similar to the one that's in here, like a membrane microphone. But it sounds really nice. Okay. On the question about the, so the subconscious uh, decision yeah. making. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, as far as or in my practice of playing with modern synthesizer, I'm partly doing it improvised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And I think that's in uh, the basic of some. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, so you play improvised music with other people, or like in a you're reacting, but you're also playing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I also, I also, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about. I also want to make uh, some decisions, mm-hmm. or to have some. You know, you bring it to. You want to build it to a point, or mm-hmm. just go higher into uh, faster rhythms, or mm-hmm. but. Do, how how do you do you cope with these ideas to have uh, a pre uh, 
composed or you think like I'm going to play something but I have some elements mm -hmm. in my improvisation that I want to reach or combinations so you do you use like free so not subconsciousness but conscious ideas before you perform yeah both both pre and subconscious yeah preconceived notions are important I think you, you couldn't if you if you play an instrument, you you're nothing but preconceived notions. You know, I mean, honestly, that's like your entire your muscle memory, the way that your your brain starts to think when you're in proximity of your instrument, and the concept of playing it. You start to think along channels of, of like pre-existing experience. You know, yeah. Um, to, to like to purely freely improvise is kind of to throw that all away, but then you end up with a lot of redoing your mistakes, so it were. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that there's not, not really mistakes in music. Anything you do is kind of intentional. If you, if you stop focusing on an element, you're, you're inviting mistakes, and that's a conscious decision, you know what I mean? If I, if I pull a cable out, whether I'm doing it accidentally or not, I know that that's always a possibility, so I'm prepared for it. I'm prepared to either embrace it or to actually acknowledge it as a problem and then fix it, you know, but those things are conscious decisions, you know. Subconscious is when something like this is happening and there's so many elements that are doing, firing on their own accord and doing things on their own. They're set to execute an algorithm. Uh, I'm not necessarily so focused on each individual one because I can't be. I mean, one person, one mind can only focus on so many variables, yeah, yeah. you know. So a lot of times, you, I use this phrase, the alpha state a lot. Alpha state is about when you <coughs> you're, you're fully conscious, but you're aware of what you're conscious of. You know what I mean? It's like I get to the state a lot when I, I hear music, you know, that's like the durational music or drone music or things like that. I get comfortable and I'm really, I'm enjoying what I'm enjoying, but I'm not necessarily worried about the extraneous. I'm not worried about things, that elements of the music that I'm not focusing on. You know, I'm not worried about um, the people making the music a lot of the times. I'm just thinking about what's, what's being communicated in the sound, you know. Um, you can be in a room with musicians and but actually just kind of leave the environment, just think about the exterior aspects of music and not necessarily the process. Yeah. That's a place I always try to get when I play. I think it's really important to know how yeah, you can yeah, get yeah, there, I, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's also the... Or, yeah, sometimes you have a... Uh, or before I, before I start to play, I'm yeah. like kind of... Nervous, you know. Of course, <laughs> like, but what, that's the thing. It's like it's like, what are you nervous about? That, you know, I, I, you're worried that you're going to have a heart attack. Or you're going to throw up on stage. That's what you're worried about, right? <laughs> Honestly, it's not about anything having to do with music. You're worried about like personal failure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, this is a this is a good conversation. I wish we brought this up earlier because it's this is a separate thing we can talk about. So, I I stopped getting nervous maybe five years ago, and that actually kind of worries me because maybe it means that I'm not as invested in in what I'm trying to do as I should be. You know, because now I think. I'm, it's going to power on, you know, unless somebody goes and they snip all my power cords with the, the scissors, it's sound is going to happen, you know, and there's something I can do with this that'll be interesting and I'm, I'm going to embrace and try, yeah, you know. Yeah. Is, is it always going to be everything that I've brought to play? Never, you know. If you, what instrument do you play when you improvise? You play electronic music, well, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, so, so let's just say, we'll, we'll simplify it, say you play saxophone, right, like you show up, unless you forget your read at home, right, you're going to play saxophone, like it's going to make a sound, you know, and then as you get more comfortable with what you know and what you take for granted, then you push it, you know, like nobody starts playing a set and they just instantly are in the moment, you have to know and react to what's going to happen, right, so it's the same with this stuff. I mean, you kind of, you know, it's, there's more to really concentrate on here than with most single instruments because it's an ecosystem more than it's a thing that just solely makes sound. It's the thing that makes sound, but it's also the structural elements. It's also the functional elements. It's the circuitry. It's the interface with the computer. There's all these different aspects to it. 
It's more like the recording studio than the saxophone. You know, it's kind of all the things that come together to create a function. So, do you feel so confident with software also? Not as much. No, that's the thing. That's that's. I think that's why I've shifted to this because I was never comfortable with software. I would always knew if, if the wind blew in the wrong direction, something would break. You know. <laughs> For years, I was doing these, these guitar right into the computer sets with all this processing, and there was so much room for error, you know? There was so much room in the software for something to glitch out or the, the battery to run out or the, the connection between the interface and the computer to die. It, it happens so much less now. Even though this is so insanely complicated and you can see all the connections, it just, there's failure is such a low... I mean, it does happen. I've definitely had the power go out halfway through the set and things like that, you know? But I've definitely pulled the wrong cord and all the sound went out and I had to scramble to put it back in, you know? But, that's, um, those are conscious decisions, you know. Even if it's like I, I do it by mistake, I still know that I've done it and I can fix it, you know. Whereas in the software, it goes wrong. I don't always know how to fix it right away, you know. So it's tricky. Have the, you have the idea that you, because you, you work with the, like yeah. kind of logic for a longer time, so you yeah. learn to basically, let's say, learn to play the instrument. You learn to play the instrument, yeah, yeah. Yourself. Yeah, right. of course. Yeah, it was it's practice like anything else. I mean, so it was a lot of practice. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been playing music professionally, Jesus, for 20, 25 years now. But only the synthesizer is like a main performance thing for 10, 15 years. So it's kind of like, it's, I had to learn how to do things in another way before I could kind of push it a bit farther and go in this direction. It was definitely a slow curve. It wasn't, it wasn't instantaneous that I was comfortable with this, you know. Yeah, that's why yeah. I, I started now to build... I've just finished yeah. it after a year and still a little bit like, oh, what the fuck, you know? Yeah, oh, <laughs> so totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can easily get overwhelmed and also you can easily get to a place where you don't fully understand even what it is that you're doing because you just forget. You Again, you, you're in the alpha state. You're thinking about, okay, here's the change that's going to happen next. I'll focus on that. Everything else is fine. I'm just going to relegate them to the back of my mind and just let them do, do their, execute their algorithms by themselves. And then you go to the next thing. But say something breaks. Actually, it happens quite often that the cables themselves fail, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, and then suddenly you're like, where that sound will just go and disappear. You know, you're like, okay, well, I know where that is. Should I bring it back in? Should I bring a new cable? Those are conscious decisions, you know. Acknowledging that it's gone is a conscious thing. You're aware of it, you know. If you're not aware of it, you're lost. That's like, you know, even if it's in the back of your mind, if it stops, it brings it to the foreground and becomes conscious again, so. How often do you change the modules in the case? If you All the time. All the every time, time every time I get in an airplane, I have a rule now where it's oh. like a um, minimum of 25% has to change every time. Even if I'm totally happy with it, it still has to change because it can't, it can't, be, it can't be the same. You know, it can't always be the same. The modules themselves, so you, you, know, you literally unscrew them, you take them out. You, put you change ones. the order, right? It'll just change the, all of them. So this is the week old. Okay. This okay. is week old. You know, these things have to, yeah, have to change. It means that you never achieve... I mean, you can yeah. have, uh, like this feeling of uh, learning the, the yeah. setup or the Yeah, I always want to have something that I'm, I mean, I don't, it's not ideal, but I, I like the idea that there's an, an unfamiliar element. Mm -hmm. I don't like to struggle. Nobody does. Nobody wants to consciously struggle with their music. You know? But you want to have a new possibility. Do you keep them on in some kind of studio system? Or do you no. no, 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 no. They're in, they're in a cardboard box in the, the base of the house. Okay, so, yeah. No, I try trade them with people. I sell them. I move, I'm always moving things on. So, so this one mixer replaced like three other mixers that were in here because it's just it's a better system, I think, for what I want to do. Creates more. I like the fact that you can actually. This is the only mixer in Nero that has like a cue system, like a DJ mixer, so you can actually hear something and say, "Oh, that's in tune." Before you bring it in, you know, that's kind of nice. When I play now, I almost always play with headphones. So it's becoming more of like this DJ paradigm, which is, I mean, it's it's the the technology of a nice high grade mixer, but it still has this idea where you can 
pre-listed and pre-faded things. And, you know, it's quite nice, you know. There's no... Um, Crossfader? Somebody makes one, actually. I don't remember who, but yeah, there's definitely somebody that makes an optical, like a Pioneer style or an Alan Heath style crossfader. Yeah. <laughs> but can you just ask getting stuff from the venue if you say like you want a Mackie and your tech writer isn't it easier? Yeah, but you, can you CV control a Mackie? No, I mean you can't. It's like you know you can't you can't CV control the sends. Like oh, this I've got mutes for every channel. The first four are CV controlled sends, which is great. So you can slowly when it say every eighth trigger it sends to the reverb. There's all these great things you can do with that. The AB is really great. So it's actually like at 16 inputs. Each one has this channel or that channel with a master gain for both. So like I'm doing with the with the wave shapes. Um, you know, it's like, oh, that sounds great. It's, you know, like, I'm, actually, it's not even working right now, but there's the, the sine wave on the A and the, the sub octaves on the B, and I can actually quickly go with one fader, control both at the same time, or both, you know. It's nice. <coughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you could use the Mac. Use a lot of this stuff can be replaced by outboard things, you know. I don't need to have the 303 module in there. I could just use the 303. But there's something to be said for the, the entire performances other than the computer thing, which is, again, I rarely touch. It's all within the suitcase. So I kind of just don't have to think about too much more. It's this. The pedals are here, which are mostly muted until I need them, you know. Uh, trackball control the computer, sure. They've got the spatialization of Cyberbox, sure. I focus on that. But really, the, the focus of it itself is just all right here. You know, I'm not aware of the audience. I'm not really even thinking about the, the environment. It's mostly just what I'm responsible for is here. You know, before and after the concert, I'm responsible for everything else. You know, but when it's playing, it's kind of like there's something very comfortable. Everything's just within arm's reach, and it's there. You know, I'm not too burdened by what all of the different possibilities because there's this. Confidence that subconsciously I'll notice something if it goes bad, or I'll let it go bad consciously and then let it go bad, or to go out of tune or break or just go in that channel and not move, you know, or suddenly show up over there and be really loud. Whoa, you know, turn it off if I need to, but also just let it do its thing if it's been programmed to do that. So a happy mixture between preconceived ideas and surprises, and also getting lost is a really getting lost is an undervalued thing. I wish it happened more and more these days, but. Um, it's a really beautiful thing when th something happens and then there's a weird change that you didn't really set into motion, suddenly you just hear it shift. You say, oh, okay, we'll just let that happen. I'm not too worried about qualitatively about how that change has happened. I'm just worried about if it's better or worse. If it's worse, I can change it. If it's better, I'll let it stay in place. Um, yeah. Uh, like regarding a question earlier about expectation mm -hmm. from the audience, yeah, yeah, of like if it would be uh, maybe a bit more conservative, social interaction. Yeah. How would you, like, do you have, I mean, you're, you're a DJ, so you're mm -hmm. familiar with building yeah. up uh, the climax or building up if yeah. you have a two-hour set, or how would you? I really reject this construct, not to cut you off, mm -hmm. but this whole thing of, like, there being only one experience when you DJ, you know? I think that's really crucial. Mm -hmm. The climax is a great example, the drop, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it, like all the, all the different words for that thing. Um, does that, does that always have to be the case? I, I, I like DJ sets when they don't have the climax or the drop. I like the ones that are just sustained mm -hmm. a, a mood, an intent, and it's there. Yeah, sure, you can change it and morph it over time, and that's, that's the beauty of, of music is that it's, it's temporal. You know, there's, there's a master narrative there. But this, yeah, the, the, the engineering your, your climax is always like one of those funny things, you know. Mm -hmm. So you do think yeah. about like narrative structure? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But not necessarily the narrative structure, not the one, not the slow rise into you know the complexity or the slow rise into significance, and then the events, and then it's you know, like I can't, you know, that's that's like the 101 version of an experimental music show. It's a it's a good one when done well. I mean, I've seen many people do it really well, you know, that 
rumbling, and then the drone, and then there's the reverb, and then it's, you know, uh, and then there's more harmonics, and then it gets really big and impressive, and then, you know, you you know it's like that's I mean that's that's a great thing you know it's one of like 10,000 experiences you can have you know I'm kind of interested in the other 9,999 things you can do because they're all there waiting to be explored and also many other people are doing those things but yeah it's funny to think that it's not like you're you shouldn't feel antisocial in wanting to explore those other <laughs> like those other possibilities I think they're they're kind of amazing in their own you know maybe an audience wants that all the time maybe they don't want to hear that. It's kind of, it's not always up for you, to you as a performer to decide for them, you know? You can, like we're having now, we're having a dialogue about what our expectations are in music, that's really great, you know? I try to do as much of this as possible to kind of find out what's, what's on people's minds, you know? You know what, what I found fascinating of uh, what friends of mine were doing, they were building a climate as a DJ, and mm -hmm. normally it, it drops and then it goes back to the standard kind of rhythm yeah. situation, with yeah. But then they build it up, so you think, ah, now uh, you have this moment and it disappears. But then they actually start on this energy, they yeah. start to build their song. Yeah. So you're like, whoa. Yeah. Oh, and now they, <laughs> so they go a little <laughs> yeah. bit over it. So you yeah. don't expect, like, after the climax, it's even, yeah. they start building even <laughs> yeah. more, you know? Yeah. And they're totally uh, in a rest. So not yeah. overdoing it, but you think, huh? oh, yeah. now we're really getting it. <laughs> <laughs> it's traumatized. Yeah. It's funny, I traumatized, yeah, 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 exactly. It's your responsibility yeah, it's not to truly traumatize anybody, but to bring them to the edge no, of traumatic, uh, cathartic experience. It's like, that's, yeah, yeah. When, when I get to DJ in big places, which I rarely do these days, maybe once a year, I, I, I am like always drawn to this idea of the, you know, there's the there's the track the house track and then it's dun 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 free jazz you know like there's something else there's anything that's not you know womp 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 you know like this any other experience and then boom there's something there's you know Ornette Coleman anything this looks like other people are just kind of like what to do. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and it's like, it's not like you're going to ruin their lives. You might, you might ruin somebody's life. You know. You might, you know, but you're not going to ruin everyone's lives. If anything, they're just taken out of the moment, and you're like, what the, f you know, what is happening, you know? And then, okay, I'll play something else. But um, last year, I played at this great festival in Western Japan called Labyrinth, and it was like a in the middle of the woods, and it was all techno, which I, I mean, I deeply love techno. Don't get me wrong, but it's like it was all techno except for me and Drew McDowell played. I played like a quiet guitar set, you know, and it was, you know, four thousand people in the woods in the mud, you know, and everything else was dance music, and it was like the best, you know, like the best whatever psychedelic techno, whatever you want to call it. It was great. It was really really good, and I had a great time. But I remember thinking when I was playing, like, like they brought me here for a reason. It's not like I, you know, I don't feel like the villain here because I'm not playing four on the floor. Like I'm not I'm not here to do that, you know. Like they consciously were like, we're going to fly you halfway around the world to here to do this thing which we want you to do. And I remember thinking when I got there, I just felt bad. I was like, everyone is just gonna want that thing until they can't hear it anymore and they go to sleep at three in the morning. So I had to have all these conversations where the promoters and all the people involved were like kind of assuaging my guilt. They were like, no, it's gonna be great. This is gonna happen and then the guy's gonna fade out. It was Marco, you know, uh, Sardarelli, Marco Shuttle. And he faded out and then I just played quiet guitar drones running through Maximus P for like two hours and nobody left, nobody stopped. They all stopped dancing, you know. 
Uh, some people started talking, some people got on their phones, you know, some people walked off into the woods, you know, and they, they had a different experience. And it was perfect. It was like, I, it couldn't have gone any better, you know. And now I'm like, I feel rejuvenated now in my resolve to kind of provide an alternate, you know, narrative, what do you want to call it? But that, at that point in the evening where it's like it couldn't go any farther anyway, it's reached, the, the system has reached its potential, the people playing have reached their potential. The only thing to do is just some other thing, you know. Maybe I want to provide that experience, but like within one concatenated 45-minute set of music, where it's like maybe just that whole roller coaster of an evening of music, but as quickly as possible. As a short attention span thing, sure, but also as a, just an, another way of presenting music, you know. As quickly as possible through all of these ranges of emotions, you know, in a complete a voyage, if you want to call it that, narrative. But there's something really cool about that, of, of just trying it. Whether I'm successful or not doesn't really matter. It's just like trying to do a thing that's not the expected, you know. You know, I have to try it anyway. I'm compelled to try it until I realize that I can't try it anymore. Or, you know, I'm still in the process of trying it and trying to get it right. And that's, you know, it's amazing that I get booked to play these festivals and they, they have enough trust in me to let me try it. That's a great thing. That's a nice place to be, you know. I'm not expected to do any one thing, you know. I might do something completely different on, on Saturday. I don't know yet. I don't have to decide until that day. So that's a, it's a nice place to be. You know, I'd rather sacrifice any amount of like career success for that freedom, you know, to, to be able to operate on any level to be able to do that, let alone one that lets me to travel and do this stuff. So it's, it's humbling and kind of amazing that, you know, I've come this far where I just like there's really no expectations, you know. If I want to play acid, I might, you know, I might just play acid. If I want to play musica concrete, I will, because that'll be the, the right thing to do that day. But I don't necessarily have to choose until I get to the venue and it makes sense, you know, so that's nice. But until then, I'll probably be panicking a little bit and thinking about what's possible. But okay, well, that's uh, it's like 4:45. So if you guys have any other questions, we can address them. Otherwise, we can wrap up. You guys are getting blasted with the sun too, yeah. so yeah. You want to just play something? Yeah. Now this is the part I hate. After explaining it all, now I have to do yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that you've explained every little bit of what you can do, show us something. It's like, oh, all right, all right, fine. Well, here, I'll tell you what, I'll pick different sounds we haven't heard yet, and we'll do, at least do this a little bit in the beginning. <coughs> All right, let's do... All right, so... And this is, again, I can just kind of go through here and just pick four sounds that I think will be kind of complementary, but not necessarily compatible. Which ones will you choose? So I'm going to choose... Banjo, surge synthesizer, surge process, and then dobro. So it's two stringed instruments, two synths, right? And again, you can, they're, all, they're all iterative, so they're all triggering stuff. So we'll bring this in. All right, so let's get it all set up. There we go. All right.
Right. So yeah, so so that started out banjo, dobro. So guy in a, in a music store called Longman Quaid in Winnipeg, which is the coldest place in Canada. Just I was like, hey, you're a really good dobro player. And he's like, yeah. I was like, do you mind if I just record you? And he's like, go for it. You know, it was 9 a.m. and like a Wednesday morning, and he was already completely drunk. So I was just like, and he just wanted somebody to talk to. So I recorded him playing dobro, and then he was like, oh, I should hear me on banjo. I said, oh yeah, cool. And you know, the guy came in. He's like you guys going to buy anything? I'm like, no, I'm just recording this guy to play a concert. He's like, yeah, cool, whatever, and walked away, you know. It was not like, there was no, like, social convention that was, like, tramped on. It was just like, was like, okay, we're just going to do this thing, you know. And he's like, you know, I can play drums, too. I was like, oh, cool. And he went and tried to play drums, and it was terrible. He just, you know, I liked the idea that I was recording him in a music store. And after about two hours, the same guy came up, and he was like, are you guys going to buy anything? And I was like, no, no, I'm just recording sounds to play at a concert. So, oh, where are you playing? So I'm in town. Oh, you want to come? I'll give you tickets. He's like, oh, yeah, cool, great. And he came that night, you know, and I played the concert of all the sounds recorded at the store. And he's like, so do I get a commission or something from this? And I was like, no, sorry, but I can, I'll come to the store the next day. And I went the next day, I went to the store and I bought like a guitar pedal. I guess I generally feel bad, but it was a funny idea where you can like just use these places where, I mean, a music store is not a place where a performance of music happens, but yet you can record these sounds and kind of take them, you know, out of that context of not, not playing music for people to hear, but just playing music to test equipment and using these kind of gray area music performance places as a way to build a piece, you know. Same thing, so the surge sounds, that big like five note chord was, I had a surge doing a really complex patch with the GRM and I started it and it was <laughs> all these things and I was like, this sounds great, I'm just gonna put up, set record and go out and have lunch and just come back in an hour because it was like slowly morphing. And when it came back, it was playing that, it was playing that, you know, um, where is it? <laughs> Right, which sounds like a Black Sabbath riff, you know, or like a Sun O riff. And literally, like, I, it was just like a sequencer had turned on. Like somebody walked into the studio when I was gone, and, like started the sequencer, and it just started playing that. And I was like, how great is that? I had no control over it, but I took it and I recorded it. I was like, what a great little bit of it doing this doom metal thing. I would have never tried it, but now I use it all the time because it's a great sound. I mean, I. I feel like I, I made it in that I made that patch, but I didn't make it in that I didn't control the guy that came in when I was out and started the sequencer, you know. It's funny, you know. So a lot of these sounds come, up, come apart uh, about from situations like these, you know. The music box, that's another one that's a great example. It was just in a music store, and there were all these music boxes, you know. Like a whole, a whole um, like a, a gift shop with like, you know, with, there's like jingle, jingle bells and, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. And there were just two kids just going around and starting them all, like doing little bits of each, you know? I just thought it was really nice. It just sounds completely like chaotic. None of the two music boxes are in tune, but there's always two playing at a time. They would go from one to the next. So it's like 10 minutes of just this. And the rhythm is nice too. The actual, like the, the, the way that they play it is so, if they're not thinking about they just want to hear all the songs as quickly as possible. They're not playing it to play it. It's, a, it's just a, a function of the fact that those things happen to make sounds. They just wanted to try them all like kids do. So I really love this kind of recordings I'm really gravitating towards these days. This kind of inconsequential music as source material turned into something that, you know, is significant. It's so nice because every like, sample has a story of its Exactly, own. right. I mean, well, there's always, and there's always an approach. Like when I do them by design, the redactions, I, there's like, you know, a place. Like I, I played one at Kraftwerk in Berlin last year, the year before, and they were like, 
do you want to go in the space and record sounds? I said, yeah, sure. So they're just like on the top floor of Kraftwerk, there's like all this abandoned machinery and rubble, and I was like a kid in a candy store, you know? It was like playing an Eisterson Neubauten set, because it was all this like, you know, abandoned like East, Eastern block equipment just sitting up there. So I went with my mics and hammers and was hitting stuff, you know, and it was kind of a funny idea, but not intentionally making an industrial set, but making like a one that uses this material in the room that I eventually played it in like the next day. So it's a funny idea yeah. to, to kind of like, it's something extra contextual and conceptual about it yeah. that I really love, you know? It's, you know, here I'll play that craft work. There's a forklift, there's metal tubes, you know, there's all these different kinds of sounds that are... Here, I'll tell you, why don't I just circumvent the... You played the room back, played the room back to itself, right? And that's, that's maybe part of it, you know? And I keep all the sounds, when I reduce something intentionally like this, I keep all the sounds in here so that I can use them later on. You know, I think to myself, what would be a great sound to hear right now? Oh yeah, that one from that place. And I've got it, it's like a library, you know, it's whatever, six years of doing these. There's one of just like a Sony recorder with rocks on top of it, you know. You know, these kind of sounds. Some, some processes, some were like I've vocoded some of the sounds too, you know, they get this really nice, like so this is just one of these recordings run through a vocoder. Of just like random, like sweeping the floor, something like that with some echo. So some of them are actually processes, they're not always these dry recordings. Yeah. But it's just nice that you can kind of like quickly have this library of sound ideas and then go through and just play them as, as if they were instruments. Yeah, so. always something different, or is it also recordings from the synthesizer that says? Some of them are recordings. Some of them are like this here. There's like a, this is probably gonna be a loud one. So there's like this like Bukla 200 part, you know. I'll scroll through it. It's like long synthesizer. There's like a Bukla 700. Just playing a chord. It's mildly distorted. You know, there's like some of them are actually instruments. Yeah, there's all kinds of sounds. I mean, it's really just like, like, there's no commonality other than the fact that none of them are really like intentional. They're not like, I'm, I'm composing a piece of music. It's like something you do while you're, like you're field recording of other people making events or doing something non-musical or turning it, you know, like taking, a, <coughs> taking an instrumental sound and turning it into something else, you know? So it's a bit of, I don't know, it's a bit conceptual really in that way. interesting how that, that adds to the generative of it. Right, because, because the timings are so decentralized, you know? It really makes yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So this is, that I was telling you earlier about the rain metal one. This is the, probably the first sound. So it's those kind of sounds, well, yeah, this, that's the rhythm of it. Well, I lost it already. It's, it's not toilet. Yeah, you hear, you hear running water and you think toilet. It's an amazing thing, you know? Oh, yeah, I keep losing it now. It's just like, yeah. So all these kind of sounds, I just like them as in and of themselves, you know. Lots of just field recordings of banal things. A lot of like running sounds through synthesizers. I was really doing that for about a year, just running acoustic sounds triggered by other synthesizers like classic Moogs and this is a good one. Yeah, so this is like backstage at a club and there's like a hip-hop group playing in the main room but this is just like there's all these metal shelving and they're all like vibrating because there's so much bass and it's just sort of like a field recording of the vibrating so you, what you hear that all the treble is all 
metal shell is vibrating. And you still, you know, you can filter it in and out. Actually, here, just take just take the high end, you know, from it. Take all the bass out. You got this really nice stuff. So you hear like the, the beat, you know. It's like the bow end is almost overwhelming, you know, but it's just up here. There's all this nice, great stuff. It's amazing how even though I've got the microphone right on the shelf, still the, the sound in the room backstage is so much louder than anything else. So yeah, part of it is getting, it's getting comfortable to the point where I can just quickly do things like that. I can quickly take a sound, run it through a high-pass filter, you know, that's, that's what makes it comfortable and makes it easy to play. And yeah, this, I mean, there's a million, million sounds I could play, crackling things and synthesizers and birds at half speed, you know. This kind of stuff. There's the Brit Bells again. Yeah, lots of great birds in Australia. And then stuff that goes back even longer, stuff that goes back 10 years. Yeah, there's some human voices there. I had an audiobook of Donald Barthelm reading. Um, reading a short story, and that was really good because I love the, the cadence of his voice. I don't often use it to, to time the drums. So it was just like, like that kind of chatty thing. I'm trying to find a talking one. Oh, yeah, so that's, this, is, this is somebody talking through the Koopany at GRM. It just sound, it sounds like somebody talking, you know. Yeah. How do you know we're going there? What do you mean we're not going there? What are you talking about? So that's like just triggering the, you know, that's what that kind of sound. A lot of them are end results, but yeah. That was a good early one. Oh, yeah, 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 so many. Yeah, it's like a little, like a history, you know, going back all these different things. And some just like, you know, bits of music in there and older things like that, playing synthesizer. And jet printer. So again, it's just like an interesting rhythm, you know, like. To close it off. And I open the you know the, the envelopes up. Well, anyway, you get the idea. I'm sort of rambling now, but yeah. So it's. Yes, I it was. A, it went on a big train bender for a while. Yeah. It's gonna uh, here. Is this the one? This is a good one. I think it's a, it's a long recording of a train going by and then coming back like 10 minutes later. I have to skip to the point where the train is. There it is. Yeah. Good trip. It was in an antique train museum in, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And this is like their, their superstar train, Steamliner. We'll just get the top of it here. Yeah, sounds a good. When it finally gets there, it sounds great.
It sounds like an old recording, but it was just made with one of these. It's just the nature of it. literally running it through a filter, nothing else, just by itself. It's nice, a lot of low end, the, the steam engine is really bassy. Just doing that one thing. So anyway, yeah, trance. I got trance. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Those are great sounds. Old engines was a thing for a while. I was recording a lot of, like, simple machines and things from the, like, the early 20th century, just like iron, you know, steam engines, uh, coal engine, things like that. Just, they make really interesting sounds, because it's like there's no control over the that just, it's like a pot boiler, it just fills up with pressure and then the, the engine happens as, as quick as it can yeah. before it stops. So it's kind of an interesting source of rhythms. So, all right, yeah, no worries. Thanks for staying, yeah, yeah, no worries. It's a good time to wrap it up anyway, so. Yeah, see you, yeah, yeah. this distortion you used at the beginning of the piece now, you used quite a lot, no? Distortion. Oh yeah, that, so that was running it. It was just running the filter at audio rate with a lot of um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's the same here. I'll do it with the Tran. Yeah. So it's just giving it a very fast envelope. So that's that's the you know this classic synthesizer sound. But then right there. So that's audio rate with a lot of resonance. You have the overtones in there. Well, it's just basically the same as all that, but it's, we're going to get the full range. We just do a little bit like that, a little bit of fit, a little bit of range like there. It's almost like it creates a resonant bandpass. It's not as impressive in you. So, let's say if I would like to do it in max MSP, it yeah, yeah. wouldn't sound like that. Uh, no, like of course it. not, yeah. Because you need that, that, every step is still randomized, so it's kind of like, it's not just a noise, it's not just an oscillator, it's, yeah. it's more interpretive. It sounds really bad when you do it like that, actually, but... It sounds a bit, bit classic, cliche synthesizer sound, but... Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, just, it's there. You get eight from the computer and four back to the computer. And as I have a breakout here as well, that generates triggers from the last two channels. So, it's one. Yeah, you can do up to 16 in, 24 out. I think because there's all these expanders. There's also there's a light pipe here as well, so you can just plug a you know another light pipe breakout. Yeah. So eight at eight channels in and out. It, I think it's forty eight K sixteen bit. Yeah, you can keep doing it. Yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. yeah. Like this. Okay. Mm. I could use a little bit of that sun now. Where did it go? Yeah. It was just here twenty minutes ago. Now it's nighttime already. Oh yeah, please, let's, yeah, yeah, let me see, I'm curious. Yeah, so it's basically just, this is the amp. Okay. And then, 
Yeah, that's definitely the Victorian synthesizer, right? You get that cool yeah, feeding back, yeah. Oh, there you go. Oh, it's so, like, yeah, because it's like a square wave. No worries. Yes. Oh, you get that, like, vibrating kind of fat, yeah. Let's, do you have an output from it? I'm going to try to run it through something. You got a mini jack, great. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's try it. Does it need a lot of gain, or is it, um, like, I can probably just plug it right into the mixer here, let's see. That's perfect. Yeah, that's f f five volts is perfect actually for audio. Yeah. Okay, so let's try it. It's channel channel four. Thanks a lot. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck Saturday. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Really nice meeting you again. Oh, cool guys. Thank you. Okay, let's get that out. That's the inputs coming out of one, two, three, four. Okay, there we go. You've got the cable? Yeah. I'll give you some gain. Here you go. Hang on a second. Here, I'll tell you what. Let's try it up here. Got it? There you go. That's it. I'm curious here. Let's try it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, we'll try it. It doesn't squeak so high as long as you can get like kind of groaning yeah. sounds. Yeah, try it. There you go. Oh, so I could really play it like with a neck and everything, yeah. That sounds great. That already sounds good. Yeah, trying to catch like an infinite sound in it here. I'm like, trying to listen it to itself.
side here. That sounds great though. I want to get it stuck in that synth. Hang on a sec. It's really nice. quite loud enough to trigger the, the re-synthesizer, but we get all the other stuff oh, in there. Yeah. That's you right there. I'll try that again. Give it a little blast. Yeah, yeah, it's totally, it's, it's a, anyone's guess at this point. Well, that's it.
That's it. Check it out. That's it. It's totally getting it now. Try it again. Here. We'll give it a louder signal. So that's trying to resynthesize it, trying to guess the pitch. Yeah, turn it up. Sounds great.
itself a uh... <laughs> almost get away from us. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. No worries. Thank you. What was your name again, sir? Lucas. Lucas Keith. Nice to meet you. See you tomorrow. Yeah. I'll be there. Oh, nice. For the Quizmonium. Yeah, great. Oh yeah, great. And uh, thinking could be also a very funny like yeah. device where you have instead of an oscillator like the sound of a wooden surface right. on every yeah, surface yeah. to uh, get the acoustic information. Yeah. Or you can do that with a piezo. Exactly so, right. Yeah, a couple of people have built piezo surface modules where like oh, really? the metal rings. Yeah, yeah. There's um. Tom Whitwell made one music thing. There's at least one, the main key that the Chinese guy made one as well, where it's like just basically like a contact mic module service so you could scrape across it and get sounds that way. Uh, you know? exactly. It's a nice idea. It's a, you know, it's a very. I love these kind of tactile service yeah. plate ideas, but especially what you said before with uh, being uh, nervous. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And for me, it's uh, like the solution to scratch. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Just like <laughs> get your bad energy out. Yeah. No worries, thank you for introducing yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll be around, so yeah, okay. It sounds good with the delay in there like that, it really kind of grinds it up. Yeah, here, we'll open it up a bit more here. Is it granular? It's kind of, we're just using a delay line, it's a digital delay. Yeah. No worries. Sorry, I we were stuck in the zone here. What's your name? Elif. Elif. Yes. Nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please. No, no question is too basic if you don't. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have zero experience in modular systems, yeah. so I guess the technicalities were a bit <laughs> a bit yeah. complex to follow, yeah. but the whole methodology behind it is mm. amazing. Um, I'm a filmmaker and. Yeah. I'm also doing my own scoring. Oh, great. Um, so I'm experimenting a lot with field recordings and uh, trying to edit um, visuals, but also sound simultaneously. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like I want to <laughs> get into this more. Yeah. Uh, because it gives so much more freedom, or also more freedom to create a certain um, vocal world before you actually start Right, yeah, you can extend the human yeah, voice in this way, yeah. It's, exactly. it's, it's great as a processing tool. That's one of the things that yeah. really drew me towards it. And, um, and I, I love the process yeah, more yeah. than the finished product. Um, so what we, how would one start with this? Um, you start small. I mean, yeah. you start with just like one of these cases like this. There's just, you put a couple of things in there. All mm -hmm. you really need is like an input, something you can plug a microphone or something into, you know? Yeah. There's a couple. There's definitely a, people have made really nice. Yeah. And the, the best ones have not just the microphone preamp, but they also have things like envelope follower, and mm -hmm. a couple of them actually have pitch, yeah. you know, like so you can sing and it'll exactly. guess the pitch and you can control oscillators that way. Um, yeah, I would I highly recommend, what's that one? Pulp Logic Entry Point. That's a good one. I think they make one with a guitar input, but they also make one with a microphone input. Say it again. Pulp Logic, that's the name of the, the, the guys, you know, the company, and it's called the Entry Point. Because that one has all three. It has a mic preamp, 
it has a trigger, like a comparator, so that when you hit a threshold, it sends a trigger, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then also it has a pitch, like pitch follower. So that's cool. all three in one. And then from there, you can, you can use that stuff to control any of the stuff. All you need yeah. is a, an oscillator, a filter, you know, anything that you can mm -hmm. control it with. Sounds I think good. just the voice going through yeah. an oscillator and a filter with like, something like following the, the volume control. Sorry, what was your name again? Frank. Frank, nice to meet you. Thanks nice for sitting and listening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was very interesting. Uh, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I hope nice. I answered some of your questions. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or if you have more questions, you know, you can always get in touch with me as well. That's I'm fine, very easy to find. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cool. So, yeah. have a good time. We'll do. I will try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm also a firm believer in if you start small with just yeah. like one or two things and you really get to learn them, then you know how mm -hmm. to extend them after that. So, but the best is yeah, the voice just through a, a voltage-controlled oscillator with the yeah. voice controlling the, the pitch or the contours. You can do a million things with that that are great. You can extend it high or low. You can also play with the wave shapes and get kind of gritty sounds. And there's a lot of neat stuff. That yeah, the voice is pretty infinite, so these, yeah, using it as exactly. a control, a control surface I, I is really nice. I've been experimenting with the voice already, yeah. and it just felt like right yeah. now we just... Yeah. Board. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hear you. Yeah. So, yeah, but this mm. sounds like something that you know it can it can definitely mm -hmm. be um, uh, different every time. So that's yeah. that's very. Oh yeah, that's what the beauty of it. And you yeah. have you have that really fine, great in reflection uh, inflection to control things. You know, yeah. you're not limited to digital signals. You're limited to y your breath, basically. <laughs> you know, like you're limited <laughs> just to that. What you can actually you know make what sounds you can make and how you can use them to control things. So. Yeah, it, it gets pretty insane. Like, you don't, it doesn't have to end like this. It can end like this, and you'd be very happy with that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Perfect. input, oscillator, filter, something like a reverb, and a way to, to change the signals in and out, yeah. and that's about it. It doesn't have to be crazy. Something like this you can put in your backpack is probably the best, you know? And then if you really love it, then you can always mm -hmm. extend it in a million different... There's always a million places you can go from your, your original core idea yeah. to make it into something else. But first thought, best thought, you know? Whatever the, kind of the first approach is going to be the best thing, always, yeah. you know? Cool, amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. No worries, thank you. Yeah. See you maybe, maybe um, this weekend as well, right? Um, uh, yeah, I'm playing uh, tomorrow night, I'm doing the tape piece, and then Saturday as well. So yeah. I've got two things coming up. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe yeah. see you then. That thank sounds you. good. Bye. Yeah. Dance party, still going. Okay, let's turn this off. Nice.